A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Alright, hello, hello everyone. Today I've definitely got an off-topic recording for you. Lots of people asking me to tell this story, and I've been avoiding this topic. I don't really want to talk about why I am currently banned from America because it's a long story, and because it's basically the worst part of my life. I don't want to talk about it. I have a long history of border problems and customs problems, and I'm going to tell you the story about all of that here today, for once and for all. Hopefully, hopefully this is the end of the story and I don't have any more border problems. And before I do, I just gotta say this podcast is not sponsored. There's no ads for me to read to you right now, but I do sell things. I write books and sell them and I sell supplements, and we do free health consultations with people on Instagram and email in real life, or on the phone, however you can get a hold of us. And today's podcast has absolutely nothing to do with health. Maybe you'll learn something about traveling and customs and homeland security. I don't know. Maybe you'll find this funny. Maybe you'll find it as frustrating as I do. And maybe you just want to know, hey Ryan, why can't you go to America? Isn't your wife American? What do you mean you can't go and see her? So you can find everything I do, all my books, all the free versions of my books, the audio and video versions. You can find the links to all my social medias on YouTube and Instagram and so on. All of that on my website, noticebooks.org. And notice is spelled not us, not usbooks.org. So this incident that happened that I got banned for six months from America, not permanently, six months, That happened on October 8th, 2022, so I'm still in that six months. But the story definitely doesn't start there. The story starts on August 14th, 2012, and I know that because I'm holding an old passport, and I've got a stamp here from Stansted, England, London, and it's got a big cross through it. Another stamp just X'd it out. Why? Because prior to August 14th, 2012, I was pretty naive, I guess. I didn't really understand border restrictions, and I definitely didn't see this coming. Put this in perspective, August 14th, 2012, I'm 22 years old. My passport here has many stamps in it prior to this date, so I've been traveling around, and they look at this stuff. They they don't have much information to go on. I'm talking about the customs agent when you arrive in a country, 
sometimes when you leave your country, like if you're trying to leave Canada, you go through the scanner and stuff, you know, that's where you have to take your shoes off and put them on the trays and you get to the other side and you get your stuff back on, you put your shoes back on, you put your belt back on. And in Canada, you'll walk, if you're going to the U.S. or you're going through the U.S., there is U.S. customs in Canada. So you'll just go through customs there before you even leave the country. But a lot of the times you're dealing with customs after you land. So in this case, I had landed in London and one of the only pieces of information they have about me is my passport. So I'm a 22-year-old guy. Looks like I'm a free-floating kind of guy. I'm not rich. I'm not broke unless I'm hiding something. I look like just a regular guy. I don't have expensive jewelry on or anything like this. I have a suitcase full of clothes and books. Those are really the only two items I have with me. And my story at this point, arriving in England with their customs, is I'm staying for a conference. And this is true. I had tickets to to a conference. I don't remember exactly what it was. Some environmental thing. I was into that at that age climate change or sustainability, I, I don't I don't know what this conference was, I never got to go to it. I was staying with a friend of mine, this is also true, this is a true story, I'm not trying to make things up to customs, and this is why I was naive, I thought if I just go in and just tell the truth that everything's cool, right? Why, I'm a, I'm a young person, like I said, I'm not rich, but I'm clearly not broke, I have enough money to travel around. Prior to August 14th, 2012, I've got here St. Martin, April 30th, 2010, I've got one I can't read here. I think it's Iceland. I've got many for Copenhagen all over the place in 2011 and 2012. So I'm based in Copenhagen at this point. That's the real truth. And that's the real story that I would have told to them. I did actually have a room paid for for the entire year in Copenhagen, Denmark. So no matter what, I could go back there. I had paid ahead of time. But clearly I've been all over the place. Clearly I'm going back to Copenhagen all the time. I've got a stamp in here and a visa from Turkey which is where I got the invitation to go to Australia, which is part of my story. This is the story. I know it's kind of a complicated story, and this is, I guess, what snared me in the uh, tangle of customs in the first place, is oftentimes a lot of people who are ahead of me in line, I can hear what they say to the customs people. For instance, now most of my problems are in America. There's a lot of Canadians going into America, and they just say, what are you going for? How long are you going? They say, oh, I'm going to Florida, going to Miami, going to Myrtle Beach. South Carolina and the customs officer says have a good trip and gives them their passport back but for me you know I'm not just taking a vacation I guess there is more of a story that I try not to say too much you know you just answer the question you don't over answer it but uh, question after question leads me to be stuck here in Stansted and that's why I've got this uh, cross on that stamp and just to keep painting you this picture again Before this, I've still got stamps from Amsterdam, multiple, CDG, Charles de Gaulle, Paris, two of them. I've got Malaga, Spain. Like, I'm clearly traveling around here just as a young guy. I'm not up to anything. I don't have any drugs on me. I don't really have much cash on me or anything like that. I've got a few cards. I've got some books. I've got some clothes. And I can see what happened in my passport here because I've got an exit stamp from Copenhagen and an entry stamp from Copenhagen and the denial stamp from Stansted, all on the same day, August 14th, 2012. And it was a beautiful summer day, actually. I remember it. I got to drive in a car that day, because in Europe you usually don't need a car, right? It's trains and buses and bicycles, and the good old heel-toe express. But my friend Irmantas, one of my housemates, we had many people living in the house, he was one of them, he drove me to the airport. Very nice of him, he didn't have to do that. Train goes right there. 
But I remember it so clearly because I'm so rarely in a car and I remember appreciating the beautiful day and I'd actually said goodbye to these people, right? There was a bunch of us in the house. We all said goodbye, smoked all the weed I had, and had a proper scene off. Because I was just supposed to go to England, stay with my buddy for a little bit, a week, maybe two weeks. And this was my problem, right? This is what snared me. I didn't have the exit ticket because I didn't know how long I wanted to stay. Maybe I want to stay a little bit longer. I don't think this is like a privilege that I should have. I just, I've always just kind of floated around. I don't always have an exit ticket. I have some money. I have some time. One week or two week isn't much difference for me. My story at this point is I'm really beginning work in Australia and Sydney in September when the school year starts. I'm going to a university. So it's August 14th here. I have a couple of weeks. And I did have the visa for Australia, by the way. You need an entry visa. It's easy to get. A whole year visa. You do have to have that ahead of time. And it says here that I did arrive in Sydney on August 24th, 2012, so 10 days later. But I didn't know, so what? I'm only there for the conference. Maybe I want to see London or something. Maybe I'm having a really good time with my buddy, my buddy Matt. He's staying there. He's Canadian. I don't, I don't even remember why he was there. Maybe it was school. Maybe he was just taking a year off. I don't, I don't remember. He's actually the son of my buddy. It's kind of weird. He's the same age as me, but like I'm buddies with his father. But anyways, Matt was going to let me stay at his place. Call him if you want, right? I got his phone number. Like, I'm a simple guy here. I've got simple evidence. I've got no contradictions in my story, even if it's a little bit of a weird story. Just going to the conference because I want to go to the conference. Maybe Matt wants to go out and see Stonehenge or something. I don't know what you do in England. And by the way, further context, I'm supposed to be English. Like, my grandparents came from England, Scotland and stuff. But when I was being questioned here in England, uh, it was really hostile. You know, they were kind of quickly accusing me of trying to stay in England, and I didn't have much of a response. Because I hadn't planned this. I, To me, it doesn't make sense. Why would anyone want to stay in England? And I don't know, I haven't even been to England. You can see my passport. This is my first time here. With this attitude, it doesn't look like I want to even stay here. I'm trying to do my thing and get out. I have a plan. But they're definitely putting me in the position where I'm trying to prove a negative, which is very difficult or impossible to do. I can't prove that I'm not going to stay in England. How do, I, how do I prove this? Even if I get an exit ticket, like, plane tickets aren't that expensive. So I could just buy the plane ticket and that's proof enough for you? Like, c come on here. So this is really my first encounter with the irrationality with some of the border protocols. I've spoken to a lot of cops and stuff. I, I know how to speak to authority. Like I said, I know how to not over-answer things and not seem like I'm actually trying to sell my response. And not having a snotty attitude, you just don't annoy these people. I try not to annoy these people. I do feel like I have a large personality. I like interacting with uh, shopkeepers and people. You know, I like having an amplified interaction with them. And I try and tone my personality down when I'm talking to authority figures. Especially if they're standing at a gate that I need to get through. But I really don't think this was about my attitude. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I know that... This was a heck of a long day here, this uh, August 14th, 2012. Like I said, uh, Irmantas drove me to the airport bright and early in the morning. Sun was coming up. Flight from Denmark was very efficient, as most things are in Scandinavia. They run squeaky clean, so I show up at the airport. I'm in, I'm out, on the plane, arrives. It was still morning when I arrived in England. And the time goes back too, right? I'm traveling back in an hour, I think. So you're chasing the morning. But that was definitely an all-day ordeal. As I've told the story in my private life over the years, I probably uh, said maybe it was even two days or three days. I, I had no idea. From what I remember, the back room had no clock in it. 
Like, when you first arrive at the customs, you're just at a booth, you know, many people are being funneled through. But then if you do get flagged or whatever, they bring you to another location. They take you down a hallway. It's different in every airport or whatever, but you're just taken off to the side. Maybe you're put in a locked room. And usually there's more than two stages. Like, that first stage is just the kiosk that you just show up to. Hey, what are you here for? How long are you here for? You know, usually it's a very quick interaction if you're not suspicious to them at all. And then if you are suspicious, you go to a room. But then there's a back back room. And we'll talk more about that. But I spent a lot of time in this one in that back back room and I don't think there was a clock there so I know I was very disoriented because they kept pulling me out every once in a while I had no idea every once in a while we'd go into another room like a interrogation room and one out of like three rotating people I guess you know they're changing shifts and stuff too like three different people are interrogating me over the hours there was only one other guy back there in this back back room which was kind of like a doctor's waiting room sort of just very sterile just very straight and sturdy uncomfortable chairs even some uh, toys for kids and stuff like that. No magazines, but like those little bead toys on the metal rods. And whether there was a clock or not, I just, I don't remember. I don't think there was a clock. I was very disoriented. It seemed to take just forever. The one guy back there with me, he was this uh, black dude. Like he was from Africa, but he was from Italy, I guess. I don't know. He was trying to make his way into Europe, I guess is what he was telling me. I don't know why he was telling me that. His English wasn't very good, but he was about the same age as me. But he wasn't there the whole time. Eventually he got transferred somewhere else or something. I don't know. It seemed to go on forever. But now I know that uh, it was basically just an all-day ordeal. I was there from the morning until late at night. Until they finally decided that I didn't have a good enough case to prove that I was not going to stay in England. Which, again, I've... You tell me why I would stay in England. Why are people that are in England... Why are they in England? I don't want to be in England. So that was not sufficient, so I was going to be deported. That's what it is. It's an official deportation. And what that means is they send you back to the country you came from. So they didn't send me to Canada because I'm Canadian. They sent me back to Denmark because that's where I came from. So basically they made the next plane out to Copenhagen wait, delayed it, and even though I have, I'm not a violent person, there's no threat at all that I'm going to become violent or anything like that. They even explained this. They have to put me in shackles. This means handcuffs on your wrists, handcuffs on your ankles, and then there's a chain connecting your handcuffs to your ankle cuffs. This is just procedure, they explained. Whether you're a threat or not, they put you in shackles to take you out of the back room and onto the plane. I was not in handcuffs or anything this entire time, just in this back waiting room thing for however many hours that was. They put me on shackles, walked me through the airport with a team of guards and whatever airport personnel, I got this entourage with me. This plane is delayed, remember, so the people on it are annoyed. And I'm aware of this. I don't want to get deported either. Good thing I do have a room in Copenhagen. But they walk me onto the plane in shackles. They walk me all the way to the seat, to the row, and then take off the shackles there. Imagine the drama of this for the other people on board, right? I could be anyone. I know that I'm not a threat. But all these people see is a dude being escorted on the plane in shackles and then they take me out of the shackles and just let me just sit in the seat. <laughs> just I'm, I'm not restrained or anything like that. And I guess they didn't talk to Denmark at all because when I landed in Denmark, it, not, nothing was up. Just walked off the plane, got my stuff, got right on the train in the airport. Of course, obviously, everything is efficient in Copenhagen. I love Copenhagen. But nobody asked me anything. I didn't have to talk to the Danish authorities at all. So this might be confusing for people who are seeing this. Like, you have a shackled... Is this person a criminal? They're walked onto the plane. 
you take them out of the handcuffs and and now they're just interacting with us like is this person a threat <laughs> right i don't know i don't know what communication was had or anything and i'm sure they're not even allowed to disclose my information so it's just kind of a funny situation and i'm going to tell you the rest of this day just because you asked for the whole story here here this is the whole story this is the start of my border troubles life was fine before this i'm living large here i'm going to spain and paris and amsterdam the caribbean even more exotic places turkey and then bam i get deported in shackles i didn't get to go to my conference i didn't get to see matt i didn't get to see anything wasted a whole day landed in copenhagen at night and if anybody's been to copenhagen okay so it's a lot of islands basically and just like amsterdam it's been kind of like cemented together so there's canals and stuff that separate the islands but you might not even notice that you're traveling from island to island a lot of it's just connected together with trains and stuff and roads obviously but there's this one island in Copenhagen, and Copenhagen is not very big. So you get on the train at the airport, and within a few minutes, you're in the middle of the city, basically, on the metro line. And the metro runs most of the night or all the night, so I take the metro to what's called Christiania, or Freetown. If you don't know about Christiania, it's a very, very cool place. I'm pretty sure the story goes that it was a World War II like, camp for soldiers, something. It was, it's an island. But then after World War II, it was kind of just taken over by, like, hippies, bikers, just sort of whoever was on the fringes of society congregated on this island, Christiania, and they made it into this place called Freetown, which basically resisted the Danish government at all costs and still has to this day. So why I'm bringing this up is because I just got deported. I left in the morning. It's now night. Where am I going to go before I go to my house? I'm going to go to Christiania because I know I can buy weed, marijuana, or hashish at any time of day or night in Christiania. So I take the metro to the station outside of Christiania, walk into Christiania, buy some marijuana. I'm exhausted at this point. I'm delirious at this point. It's midnight or so at this point. And since I stopped in Christiania to get weed, because I had smoked all my weed before I left, right? I'm not going to take it with me, saying goodbye to my friends at my house. But if I hadn't stopped, then I would have been able to catch the S train to my house. And since I didn't make it there, I guess it... I think the last train is 1 a.m. Well, I didn't make it. So I'm sitting in the station until 5 a.m. or whenever it opens. I'm sitting there. I'm smoking joints. I'm smoking cigarettes on a bench. August 14th. The weather was still nice. It wasn't that unpleasant, but I'm exhausted. Catch the first train in the morning out to Tostrup where I lived. Sun is already up by the time I'm walking up to my house. And one of my other friends in the house, Sergey, he's from Moldova. He's a fighting guy, you know, a mixed martial art kind of guy. I caught him on the way out going to his morning training. He helped me with my bags in. <laughs> Thought he wasn't ever going to see me again. Big surprise. Of course, I was there for another 10 days. Went off to Sydney. And everything was fine, more or less. And I didn't have another border incident, actually, until one of my homeland stamps here. I'm not sure which one it is. It was in 2013 or 2014. I was coming in through Hawaii from Australia and I didn't get like an X through my stamp here. I didn't, I didn't get deported or anything like that, but I did get hauled up in that back room of Hawaii and they did hold up the plane for that. I remember we had a fairly long layover and I actually wanted to go out and see a little bit of Hawaii. It was another beautiful day, but I had to spend it in that back room it was not as comfortable as the English one. And yeah, that was the first time in America I was really, really pried. But I didn't get denied then. I got let in to go to wherever I was going. I wasn't staying in Hawaii. I was going on probably home to Toronto. 
And I didn't have any border troubles at all until the next point here, September 16th, 2017. Pretty sure it was on that day. I didn't keep the form, but I posted that on Instagram in this day, which was the refusal of admission into the United States at the Peace Bridge in New York. So Niagara Falls. There's more than one crossing at Niagara Falls. I think there's three. Peace Bridge, Rainbow Bridge. I think there's another one that goes to Erie. I, I don't know. I did get denied it later at the Rainbow Bridge, another part of the story. But here at the Peace Bridge, got denied. Why? Well, I did have that deportation from England, but that isn't something that will affect my relationship with America. I did have that hold back in Hawaii, but th there was nothing there. They just wanted to pry into me and ask me a bunch of questions and fingerprint me. They just wanted to bring me into the second stage. I don't know. Something about me was suspicious to the person at the gate, even though I was just going home. I wasn't even trying to stay in America. But I didn't have drugs or anything. There was nothing on me. My story wasn't even, like, they weren't even prying into my story. I don't, I don't know why they held me up in Hawaii. So, I'm at the Peace Bridge, trying to cross into New York to go to Pennsylvania. Titusville, Pennsylvania. Titusville is up in the upper western part of Pennsylvania. Not too far away from Ohio to the west. And New York to the northeast. And Titusville's a pretty nice little place, actually. It's right down the road from Pleasantville, which is just as pleasant as it sounds. And Townville and Centerville. Cherry Tree. A lot of these towns, including Titusville, to me they look kind of like train sets. And I had a trucker buddy who joked about, he said, oh yeah, they look nice. He said, try driving an 18-wheeler through these train set towns. Right, all these little hills and bridges, narrow streets. So I'm going to Titusville. Why? I'm going to help volunteer with my friends at a farmer's market. This is a true story again. I'm not making things up. Why would I make this story up of why I'm trying to get into America? So here, 2017, September 16th. I'm 27 years old. I'm about to turn 28 soon. I was probably driving my mom's car. I don't think I had a car at this point. Maybe my sister's car. They both drive pretty generic small vehicles. We're talking about Toyota Camrys and Honda Civics and Mazda 3. I don't know what I was driving, but it was not an impressive vehicle. Just That's a thing. I think it matters. I think if you pull up in a Range Rover, you will be treated differently, for better or worse. It is a piece of information that can be used to judge you. So I'm driving a not impressive vehicle. Once again, I do not look upscale, no expensive jewelry, all that stuff. Don't look completely broke either. I'm going to Titusville to help some friends do a farmer's market, stand at the booth. I'm volunteering. I'm not getting paid. This is the story. They're not questioning the story. They're taking the story as fact. And the problem is that this is, I guess, a gray area. It's not very gray to me, but you're not allowed as a Canadian to contribute to the American economy. Sounds weird, doesn't it? They want you to come there and spend money and whatnot, you know, do whatever you have to do, but you don't get to contribute to the American economy, even as a volunteer, even though you wouldn't get a tax form or whatever if you were a volunteer, you're allowed to volunteer as an American, but not as a Canadian in America. And like I said, I'm pretty sure they actually bought the story. They weren't really questioning the story. I'm going to help some friends with the farmer's market. What do they do? They have a little farm and they've got eggs and honey and stuff. That's it. It's another beautiful day here. September 16th, 2017. Glorious day. Perfect day for a farmer's market. They're not asking if I'm trying to stay there forever. They're not asking if I'm carrying drugs, guns, or any other contraband. I don't have much on me. I'm driving my mom's car or my sister's car. can't remember, but I have to bring that car back, obviously. If that is the truth and it's registered to them, either I stole it or I have to bring the car back. 
None of this was questioned. They denied me on this day, my first time being denied in America. We're at seven times now, by the way. That's why I'm banned for six months. It's not one incident. That's why the story starts all the way back here. Because it's a snowball effect. Once you get caught in the border system, you now have a record on their little computer when they scan your passport. So no longer are they simply asking about where you're going now and how long you're going to be there. Like, oh, you're going on vacation to Vegas for the weekend. Okay, that's great. But now you have this file when it comes up. They put it in their computer. I don't know exactly what it says. They don't let you see it. But now I know that once I've established a record, I'm now going to be suspect all the time. And when you understand that this is where the story really starts, actually, being denied for trying to volunteer in Titusville, Pennsylvania at a farmer's market. For one day, I was, I was planning to come back that day, too. This incident flagged me as a character that now must go through the second stage, is what I call it. I'm not sure if it has an official name, but that kiosk that you show up to when you first go through customs or when you first drive up to the border in your vehicle, you talk to the person at the gate. That's the first stage. That's what I call it. And now I have to go to second stage every single time. So it doesn't even matter what I say at the first stage. If they scan my passport, which they don't always do, I'll bring that up later, then I'm automatically going to the second stage. They might ask a few more questions just as a formality, but I know all these questions are going to be repeated once I get to the second stage. So in the car, you have to go and drive around the corner or whatever, go into the building. You leave your stuff in your car. You leave your phone in your car, your keys on the dashboard. You take your wallet and your money with you. So you can't accuse them later of taking your money or whatever. This is the instructions that they give to you at the border in your vehicle. Leave your phone, take your money. And I have to do that every single time now after this date, September 16th, 2017, because of trying to volunteer at a farmer's market. Not accusing me of doing business or trying to sell something. It's just the interpretation of the officer I was dealing with was that this constitutes business. Volunteering constitutes business, even for a single day in a very small and isolated circumstance, whatever. So this is what started my snowball nightmare of U.S. border crossings. And most of the other incidents I don't have dates for. I didn't keep the paperwork. I didn't post it on Instagram. That first one that I posted there, 2017, it's because that was quite an event. I'd never been denied in the U.S. border. It was a thing. I was actually beginning in my business career in the health business, selling supplements. And I was traveling. Mostly just traveling to the U.S. to learn, though. Just to attend conferences and seminars and such. Or just see people. Like, I'm allowed to see people as a Canadian, as an American. And by the way, one of the reasons that I don't like to really talk about this whole story thing is because it's hard for me, without telling the whole story, to not sound like just like a whiny baby in my head. Because I'm well aware that I don't have rights in America. They can deny me for any reason they want. So can England. They literally don't need a reason. Just like I don't need a reason to deny somebody entry into my home. I don't want certain people on my property. I'm allowed to form those judgments. So are they. So I have no entitlement here. I just have to take it. But I was expanding my horizons in life and my contacts and my business and my friends. A lot of that bled into America now at this time. This is why I'm going to Pennsylvania. I have relationships in Pennsylvania. And I'm not allowed to do business there. I would have to have a visa to do business there. I mean, gray area, sure. But if they did know that I actually do something called network marketing where you know I sell a product that's online, I actually can't let them know that information because 
then everything I do can be considered business if they want it to. Oh, you write blogs for a living? Well, are you writing blogs here while you're in America? Right? Oh, you do TikTok for a living? You taking TikToks while you're here in America? If they want to, if the officer that you're dealing with wants to do this, they can take this there and they can deny you entry because you are not paying taxes on the business that you're doing in America. So this all started with a volunteer incident, and this is 100% true. I don't have products in my trunk. I'm not going to sell products. I'm literally there to help them do the farmer's market. But I do actually also want to do business, in quotes, in America, in the sense that this is a relationship-built business. They're buying the products from online, yes, and I'm being paid in Canada, yes, through my Canadian account, my Canadian tax system, my Canadian banks. That's the proper channels how I do this business. And I can talk to Americans online in Canada, no big deal. But if I talk to Americans in America and they buy a product from me online, especially if that product comes from America, which in this case it does, and I'm being paid in another country and I'm paying taxes in another country, I'm not paying American taxes, that means they can deny me entry for any reason if they know that I have this type of a business. So I don't want to over-answer customs agents, but I do want to tell them the truth. I don't want to get caught in lies and having to lie more to protect the original lies and you know you forget what you're saying and stuff i just i tell them the truth i might not tell them the entire truth such as what i actually do for a living since i have multiple streams of income i only need to talk about a few of them if i need to but i stay away from that online marketing conversation and so far i've gotten away with it nobody has really questioned me on that but 2017 that was the first major dent in my border record with the u.s and I believe it was in 2018 that was my next denial. And this one actually was not a big deal. So at this point, between 2017 and 2018, I had begun dating an American, a girl in California. And I was living in Windsor, Ontario, which is right across the river, the border, from Detroit, Michigan. So I was actually going into Detroit all the time prior to this next denial. And during this time, I was always going into the second state. Just since this New York incident the Peace Bridge, I always had to go into second stage. Unless they happened to not scan my passport, which did happen a couple of times, where you're just at the kiosk. One time I was by myself, and one time I was with my friend Chef Norman. We were crossing in, and uh, I guess they just didn't suspect enough. So yeah, have a good time, boys. You know, we're just we're crossing into Michigan. We're going to go see Judy. That's our story. That's our real story. We really are going to see Judy. Have a good time, boys. Hands us the passports back without scanning them. That's great, but most of the time I was in the back room, so I'd always be going to the Detroit airport. It's an international airport. There's no international airport in Windsor. Very convenient and cheaper, actually, if you're flying within America to use American airports. So going to Detroit, I usually would see Judy. She's a friend, but I would always leave hours and hours early, sometimes even a day early, spend the night at Judy's, fly out in the morning because I would have to plan for multiple hours potentially being in this back office thing, this second stage thing. And usually I didn't have to go into the third stage, so that's not the waiting room thing. In Detroit, it's more like a dungeon, actually, but usually I'm just sitting in second stage, which is just kind of a large waiting room, probably 30 or 40 seats in it. And all the customs people, all the Homeland Security people, they're all behind this desk, big long desk with those shields up, especially since 2020. So you just hang out back there. You're not allowed to use your phone. There's no reading material. Sometimes I bring a book in. I don't know if that helps my case or not. Like, part of the reason I get so frustrated about this is because a lot of it does involve the officer's judgment, the person who's dealing with you. 
So sometimes I do get somebody who just looking them in the eyes and interacting with them, even though they kind of act like a robot, you can tell whether someone likes you or not. And sometimes if they don't like you, they can deny you. I'll get to one of those later on, I think. So you don't always get a reason or a good reason, one that makes sense. So we're here in 2018. I'm crossing all the time. I'm going to California all the time, either Los Angeles or Las Vegas, because my girlfriend lived in between those two places. So literally every month or twice a month, I'd be doing that route. I'd still have to go into the backs every time. It's never suspected of smuggling anything every time. It's just a formality now. Now that I have a record, now I'm a suspicious character, even though I have a record for trying to volunteer. And now I'm in a different place doing a different thing, and I'm doing it regularly all the time. Like... With regularity, I mean, it should become more obvious that whatever was going on before with that isolated incident has nothing to do with what I'm doing now. And they never questioned me on any of the details. But anyways, my next denial actually wasn't for a bad thing. So I was actually going to California, but I was driving. I was driving with my mom, actually. My mother had just retired. She was a school teacher for my whole life. She had just retired. Honestly, I'd never really spent that much time with my mom one-on-one, -on -one, not multiple days. We've never gone on a trip together. I've been all over the place. She's never left. I think she never even left the country at that point. So this was a big thing for her. It was mostly just about spending time with us. And we were going to California, and she was just going to fly home after. And I was just going to stay in California for a while with my girlfriend. And we didn't get denied for anything suspicious. This is a bit weird, but even longer story. I was losing my apartment in Windsor. I couldn't afford it. I had just hit a bump in the business. And I was going to stay with my girlfriend. I wasn't going to stay there full-time. I didn't. Canadians are typically allowed to go to America for six months at a time. And this is kind of loose. There's no hard and fast rule about this. These are just guidelines that a Canadian could actually work in America every day. Like someone who lived in Windsor, Ontario could work in Detroit, Michigan, no problem. You could travel every day back and forth. You're not supposed to stay six months continuously in America. So I was going to California for up to six months, just before six months, and I was going to come back, and I did come back. But I had to take a lot of stuff with me. My mom took a bunch of excess stuff to her house, and I was taking some things to California, including a snake, a python, a ball python, a small little python, because my girlfriend actually wanted it. I had this pet snake. She wanted it. I was actually just going to give it to her. It's yours. Here you go. I had another pet. I sold it in Windsor. Got rid of all the excess, but she wanted this snake. And I did look up the rules online. Anybody who's ever tried to understand U.S. customs rules just by going online probably have encountered some difficulty there. I knew I needed paperwork for a larger animal, like a mammal, a dog or a cat, or a ferret. I would need veterinarian paperwork for those animals. Couldn't find anything on snakes specifically. And when we showed up at the border, my mother and I... We didn't lie about it. They asked us, do you have any, you know, alcohol, tobacco, seeded fruits? They don't always ask you all these questions. They pick questions to ask. Say, do you have any animals on board? And we said, yes, actually, we have a snake, ball python. And this is a common species in the pet trade. It's not a threatening species. The website did say that they should have a veterinarian on staff, but we were at nighttime. The veterinarian wasn't in. So they said, look, you can wait around basically all night until the morning when the animal person shows up and they can give you the paperwork. They're just going to check it for mites or whatever. It's not much to tell with a snake. You're not going to do blood work with a snake. It doesn't need shots. I don't know why they have to check it at all, to be honest. But they say you can wait all night or you can take a denial right now and just turn around. And if you just drop the snake off, you can come back the same night. You can come right back if you want. So we actually did that. 
We went back to my apartment in Windsor, dropped the snake off, deciding whether we were going to go again in the morning or just go right back. My mom said, let's just go right back. So I called my buddy up and I told him, hey, I got a snake at my apartment. Told him where the key was or whatever. Need you to pick up the snake. I need you to deal with this snake. And he did. He picked it up. So me and her crossed that same night and it was no big deal. That was my second denial. Two out of seven. And it was no big deal, but I'm still now in the zone of pretty much every time I cross, I'm going to the second stage. If I'm with my mom, I'm going to the second stage. <laughs> if I'm with my buddy, I'm probably going to the second stage. Right? This has just become routine. I start to recognize a lot of these people, especially at Detroit. Like, we're interacting all the time. We're going through the same song and dance all the time, even though I'm not being suspected of smuggling. And you would think, like, look, let's put logic in here. People say, well, wh why did they... Do that? Why would they deny you if, the, if that? But Because the if implies that they're using logic, right? Why would they do that if this? Well, if I'm crossing all the time, and I have my story, I've stuck to it, of why I'm crossing, and it's perfectly legitimate within the general regulations between Canadians and Americans. I'm doing this thing all the time. I know that I'm going to be in second stage security every single time. So why would I be messing around, right? If I know I'm going to be back there, my story is going to be peeled through, they're going to ask me for documents, plane tickets, and all this stuff. I know this, right? So I would obviously never try to smuggle anything, right? If you know you're going through second stage security, why would I try and hide anything? I've never been suspected of hiding anything, but that's just an example. If I know that I need my reasons to be legit, then I'm going to have my reasons be legit. Probably, right? Probably. Unless I am this shifty criminal dude. Well, if that was really the case, if you really suspected me of that, then ban me. But you never have really banned me. At this point, they've, America has never threatened to ban me at this point. The two specific incidents, they say, we're not going to let you in because we don't want you to volunteer at this farmer's market. And here we don't want to let you in because you're bringing a snake in. But we're still putting you in the back every single time. Even though you're anticipating being at the back, so you're probably going to be as tight as possible. You're probably going to have your paperwork, which I do. I have my rental agreement, right? my car insurance, whatever I got, car insurance plane tickets of where I'm going and so on. I've, I've got whatever I've got. I know I'm going to need this stuff. I know I'm going to be pried open. So why would I try to hide anything, right? You would think that if I'm being detained for one specific thing or denied for one specific thing, if time goes on and I display another pattern, a consistent pattern of following the rules and not doing anything wrong and basically wasting everyone's time if you detain me because I'm not doing anything wrong and you let me through in the end most times anyways... The snake thing, we didn't have to get strip searched for it. We just said we have an animal. Couldn't really find the information on the internet of whether we could bring this through right now or not, but we're going to try because we don't see another option. Got denied, no problem, but even after that, I continued to be delayed every single time at the border. Although, I did not get denied all the way until 2020. After dating the girl in California, I had actually moved back. I moved to Montreal at that point. Girl and I broke up. I got the house up here in Kirkland Lake, Ontario. I've been here ever since. But during this whole time, I have traveled numerous times. I've gone, showed up at the border, said, hey, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Denver. Went there a bunch of times, got friends in Colorado. Oh, no problem, because I'm allowed to go and hang out with people. I'm allowed to go and spend money. I'm allowed to go on road trips with my buddy, Chef Norman. They let me in, no problem, even if they detained me in the second stage thing and just wasted everyone's time. Always got let in. Started seeing my wife in New York, started crossing at New York all the time. Remember, I'd been denied at New York, but I got let in every time after that. Same with Detroit, got let in every other time. And I didn't have another denial until 2020. And in 2020, that's when I was crossing with Chef Norman. 
We went on a road trip all across the country. We stopped in Detroit, went up to Grand Rapids, over to Iowa, Nebraska, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, California. Picked up some stuff from that ex-girlfriend's place in California. Went over to our buddies in Arizona, stayed there for a while. All of this is perfectly legit. Remember, they didn't even ask us our passports this time. Have fun, boys. We told them we were going to see Judy. The one time they let us in, they did. We came back. And this next time. Yeah, we're going to California. Coming back. Have fun, boys. Great, no second stage. And this is when they were talking about this corona business, of course. It was not a full-blown issue yet. All of those stops that we did, business was going on as usual. But instead of going all the way to Florida from Arizona, we decided to cut it off and cut up through Oklahoma, through Texas, through St. Louis, and all the way home. Because basically it looked like the world was going to shut down for the corona thing. The 2020 event. So pretty much as soon as we made it back to my mom's in Toronto, Canada, they announced that the world was going to close just for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, whatever it was, 10 days to slow the curve, I don't know what it was. But the border shut down at that time. First time I had ever seen the borders actually close. I think they were closed at 9-11, but I was 11 years old back then, so it was not an issue for me. I was in the 7th grade. So I think it was literally the day after they closed the border in March there, 2020, that I decided to go down and try to cross. I didn't know how serious this border crossing was. I should have gone the day before, but I didn't. This is back at New York, I think at the Rainbow Bridge. Remember, I've crossed many times successfully since my last denials, both in New York and Detroit. So it's proven that if you do something wrong or you get denied for some reason, that doesn't stop you from crossing in the future as long as you don't do that specific thing again. But I show up right after the border is quote-unquote closed. There's basically no one there. Everyone's standing around. All the officers and stuff are standing around. Everybody's bored, so everybody can pay attention to me when I show up. I have nothing with me, really. I'm just saying that I'm going to see my girlfriend in New York, Staten Island, going to drive. It's a long drive, but I've done it many times. I've crossed this exact same bridge many times to go to New York, and I always come back. Now, here's a thing I'll throw in for you. I've noticed that the U.S. and Canadian borders don't really talk to each other. When you're crossing into America, you deal with American customs, and when you cross into Canada, you deal with Canadian customs. So I can deal with Canadian customs way differently and i'll tell you a story actually later on because you guys wanted me to tell this story so i'm telling the whole freaking story and there's some funny stuff on the canadian side but i can be rude to the canadian authorities actually i'm a canadian i'm allowed to they can't do much to me they can't stop me from coming into the country they can't arrest me unless i'm committing a crime i can insult them i can do all kinds of things as a canadian dealing with the canadian customs so i always come back when i say i'm going to come back But the American border wouldn't actually know that, per se, because you don't scan your passports in with America when you cross into Canada, you deal with Canada. So they kind of have to take my word for it. But they can see, when I'm crossing all the time, obviously I came back into Canada. They could, theoretically, check with Canada, but they usually don't. They have their own record system, and their own record system just says when I cross in. But they can see that I regularly cross to see who at that time was my girlfriend, So whatever I've said about her in the past is in the record. I don't know what's in the record, but I know that the record is very long at this point. And this is why it takes me hours every time to cross now, whether I'm at an airport or a land crossing. 
it takes me so long because they have to read my file and my file just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And even though at this point I've only had two American border denials, two out of seven have only happened so far, my record is super long because I've crossed so many times. So many times living in Windsor, going to cross into Detroit, going to see Judy, going to see my girlfriend in California, going to see my friends in Denver, going to a conference in Vegas, all of this stuff allowed in, but all of it, since I have to go to the back second stage thing, all of it gets added into my file. All these different, quote, incidents, which are not incidents at all. Nothing happened. I wasn't being accused of anything. I'm just going back there as a formality because I've been back there before. So you go back there 9, 10, 20, 40 times, your file is incredibly long. It takes them now a half hour, 45 minutes sometimes to read my file before they call me up to the kiosk. And there's nothing important in it. I got denied back in 2017 for trying to volunteer in Pennsylvania. I got denied for trying to bring a snake into Detroit in 2018. Being completely honest about all this stuff, there should be nothing in my file about me trying to hide anything or me lying I got caught in a lie, it's a federal crime to lie to a federal officer. Homeland Security, that's a federal officer. You lie to them, that's a federal crime. So I know I'm basically committing perjury if I lie to them, so I don't lie to them. I might not tell them everything, but I'm not going to lie to them. And so I haven't been accused of lying to them, but my file is long like a criminal. Meanwhile, it couldn't even be a criminal. I'm bringing you up to my boiling point of frustrations here because obviously I've lived this. And I have so much time to think about this. I'm not a criminal. Your records show that I'm consistently not breaking the rules. At least as far as you can tell. There is no evidence of me doing anything dodgy. Anything I have been denied for, I've been completely upfront and honest with. So my file says that I consistently tell the truth. And whatever I'm telling you now about why I'm going, I'm probably going to come back exactly when I say I'm going to. And some friends ask me now, by the way, those same people in Colorado, he just asked me, one of my buddies, he said, when when you come to Colorado again, man? And I don't even think he kn- he knows that I'm banned currently, but the whole story is that I can't just willy-nilly cross into America anymore. It already was an event. If I was going to Colorado, I know I have to go to that back room. I, I, kn- I know that. But now, there's a huge question of if I even am going to get through. Am I going to drive all the way? I live 12 hours from Detroit, Windsor, by the way. And close to that same amount of time away from Niagara Falls. It's a long way to go to be denied. So I don't know if I'm going to get through. And now I'm scrutinized so deeply. And now that I am banned. And now that they... I'll get later in the story. But now they have all these questions about my wife and stuff. I really can't just go and go see my friends. Maybe I'm just going... I'm saying I'm going to see my friends. So that I'm really going to sneak and see my wife. Because they're giving me all these hard times about seeing my wife. But anyways, this next denial. I'm at New York. Rainbow Bridge. My wife and I are not married. I don't have paperwork. Border is just closed. Never seen anything like this happen before. And after dealing with them in the second stage thing, nobody else there because I'm the only person trying to cross. Border's just closed. They finally said, look, we're going to deny you this time, right now, but if you go and get us some more information on your wife, maybe you go and get her passport picture a scan of your her passport or her driver's license go go get her birth certificate go and get all her information and bring that back to us because even though the only times i've actually crossed at new york have always been to see my wife in in the recent past up to this incident i've never really had to give her birth certificate or anything like that you know they're asking is she an american citizen was she born in america all this stuff so they denied me which turned me around go back to niagara falls ontario just across the bridge 
go to a local coffee shop, get some Wi-Fi, ask my wife to send me a picture of her birth certificate, driver's license, passport, whatever she's got, bring all that back to the border, deal with the same people, exact same officers I just dealt with. Remember, there's nothing else going on at the border right now, so they're all paying attention to me. Exact same people. They told me to turn around and go get this information from her. Remember, we're not married. I'm not trying to prove I'm married. I'm not trying to claim any special rights or anything. I'm just seeing if I can cross. They don't know the deal because this has never happened before to them either. They don't know who they're supposed to let through and not. They don't really know what it means to have the border closed, right? They're still letting truckers through and all this stuff. What about relationships? I don't know. It hasn't been clearly defined yet because this just happened. Lockdown hasn't really set in yet. But these are the people who went and sent me to go get her birth certificate, and I came back with her pictures of her birth certificate. They know I can't produce the original image. They asked me to go and get a picture of it. I did that immediately, came back maybe 20 minutes later with her driver's license, birth certificate, whatever she gave me, and then they denied me again. So this is actually denial three and four happened on the same day, and I don't know why they told me to go and get that information. If they were going to deny me anyways, I don't think they did this on purpose. I'm not accusing them of being that huge of jerks, although I think it's pretty jerky to uphold these orders, although I get it, the chain of command, whatever, whatever. You know, people like Trump, by the way, and I, I, I hold this against Trump. He's He was in office when this happened. He allowed this to happen. Maybe he thought this was the right thing, but super annoying to me. And obviously the border people didn't really know what to do. But having two more strikes on my record there didn't help me at all. Drove back to my mom's. Don't remember what happened next. Maybe I drove up north home to Kirkland Lake. Not sure when I tried to cross again, but I know it was in Detroit. But actually, on this denial in Detroit... My wife and I had actually gotten married at this point. We got married online. And in Detroit, they actually didn't buy that. They were saying, you're just using this to drive in. But I had flown in already. Like, it doesn't really make sense to me if I was going to just stay in America. Why wouldn't I just stay in America? Why do I have to bring my car in? Why would I get married in order just to drive into America? This really doesn't make sense. And when they denied me here, they told me to just go fly. So <laughs> if you don't want me to day in America, then I'm lost. And by the way, two times, I'm not sure of the timeline here, I'm not sure when these were, but early on in the COVID, my wife tried to come to Toronto twice. She was denied twice from New York trying to enter. She was denied in New York. They wouldn't let her on the plane, right? This is before the vaccines and before the cards and all this stuff. She tried to come twice. They denied her twice. And yet another time, I tried to drive to Detroit this time instead of New York. Maybe this was suspicious to them, I don't know. But I was just going to try again. Like I said, I don't have any of these like essential reasons, or I'm not an essential business. I'm not a truck driver, right? The things that they're allowing through the border at this point, I understand that I don't fit the criteria. I'm still just trying to cross to go and see my wife. And I got denied at Detroit again. That was the reason, not because of anything suspicious or anything. Of course, yes, it just gets added onto my record. Now this is multiple denials. And that's often the first thing they ask me at these customs kiosks too. Oh, when, you know, when I go to the second stage, oh, when was the last time you got denied? What happened there? That's what they want to talk about, right? So even if it was nothing, like I tried to cross. I, just, I know it's it says it's closed. I just, I just tried to cross. I just really want to see my girl. You know, what are they going to say? So basically both times, which was three times there, this is three denials now, we're at five out of seven, they told me to just go to the airport and fly. 
because again at this point there's no vaccines yet there's no cards yet i can technically fly and so i did that is how i went and saw her in 2020 flew to new jersey was with her for a while flew back be a whole nother podcast talking about those flights and the warnings that i got for uh you know quote misbehaving with uh, the not wanting to wear a mask and uh being argumentative and all that that would be a whole nother story but I did fly in in 2020 to go see her, and I did get denied three times during that year trying to drive in, which is pretty stupid if you think about it, too. Like, you know, we're talking about logic. Is this logical? You guys are trying to lower transmission of an infectious disease, supposedly. This is a story. Okay, well, what exposes me to more people? Going to an airport with thousands of people and then being shuttled onto a little tin can with hundreds of people breathing each other's recycled air for multiple hours, or me in my own little car. And by the way, I mentioned car before, so I should probably mention the denial with the snake and my mother. I would have been driving my car at that point, which was a Pontiac G5 2009. So not a fancy vehicle, not a complete piece of junk either, but not a suspicious vehicle by any means. And all of these other times in 2020 and beyond, I would have been driving my newer vehicle. The G5 died. I I think Death Valley killed my car living in Trona, California. Way too hot. Beat my vehicle up, gone over the Rockies and so on. So now I've got my 2011 Kia Rio. Both of these vehicles were red. Both of them are completely non-threatening in my opinion, especially the Kia Rio. So just the perspective of who's showing up at the border. This is a completely non-threatening individual. I'm tall, but I'm skinny, not wearing anything expensive. And I don't know anybody who would ever be threatened by somebody driving a Kia Rio of any year. It's the most non-aggressive vehicle I can think of. And that's what I would have been driving during all these incidents after 2020. And so that double denial was in 2020. The next one in Detroit, that was actually in early 2021. And my wife moved to Texas shortly thereafter. And we actually got married again properly in front of a Texas judge because they didn't count it as legitimate marriage at the border. And it was either at the end of 2021 or sometime in 2022 that they decided... The border's finally going to be open for Canadians to drive into America, so I did that. I had been just flying back and forth to Houston and coming back when I said I was going to come back. But they opened the border, so I decided to try and drive because I like driving. And actually, I have my card, by the way. You know, you need that card to prove that you got the thing to get over the border. Well, rather than try to argue my constitutional rights or whatever, you know, that I don't have. I don't have any constitutional rights in America. And airlines that are just following whatever orders they've been given. I don't have a way to talk myself out of this. So I got the card. The card that says I got the thing. That's the double dose of the thing. So this is what I'm supposed to need to cross the border, including my passport up to date. Not expiring within six months. For me, since I have this extra protocol to go through, I know I need my paperwork, whatever paperwork I've got. Bills for my house, which not all the bills are in my name, but some of them are. Most of them are in Chef Norman's name. And until recently, I had to get this new paperwork recently because of the latest incident, but until recently, I couldn't prove that I owned the house that I live in, which I technically own half of it, but on paper... My mom owned the house, but I had a piece of paper from her, a signed statement that said, 
I did own the house, in fact, and it will be transferred to my name once Chef Norman pays the other half. And remember, I've been through the back border end multiple times. I know it's a federal crime to lie to the border. That's why, to me, a signed statement from somebody who you can contact and you can actually ask them and you can charge them with a federal crime if they're lying. Just if we were using logic, I would think that someone like me who's been through the system multiple times and clearly has to have some understanding of the system if I've been through this, we're talking like 30 times, probably, I think, 30 border crossings that I've not always been denied, but I always had to go through the back. It's probably three or four times only that they didn't scan my passport and just let me through. But I know it's a federal crime to lie, so I'm not going to carry a piece of paper with me that is a lie. I didn't have the house in my name, this is what I had. And it was always enough for me to get through on plane. They're looking for proof that I am returning to Canada now at this point. They're not questioning me about that card that says you got the thing. They're not questioning me about doing business in America. They're not questioning me about smuggling drugs. Now they're questioning me about being married to my wife and if I'm going to stay in America. So now I try to cross at Detroit. I have my paperwork, my regular paperwork, the stuff that gets me through on the plane. I had recently traveled to America to see my wife because I had been going every couple of months. Go two months there, two months back, typically. She had moved to Texas at this point. So I'm traveling to Houston, back and forth. And this time in Detroit, my story is, in my little Kia Rio, I am going to drive to Texas to see my wife have my card, have my paperwork, and I got denied for insufficient proof that I'm coming back to Canada, even though I've been traveling back and forth. So again, they recently opened the border. I go to cross. Now, since I'm married, which is the ostensible reason that they're really hammering down on me, now since I'm married, they've got a new reason to hammer in on me, which is maybe I'm trying to stay in America, because that was never an issue before. Going to see my girlfriend in California, no problem, have fun. Yes, I had a rented apartment or boarding house. I had receipts. I had something to show that I stayed in Windsor. But like, as far as proof goes to that I'm not going to stay in America, it's not very good to say that I have a rent receipt in Canada. Who cares if I'm going to stay in America? But now I'm married, so I'm going to stay in America, right? But I've been traveling back and forth every couple of months. Remember, logic doesn't apply here anymore. I'm already in the back room because I've been in the back room before. That's it. Once you've been in the back room, you're going in the back room the next time, probably. That's why I'm back here. But now you want to question me that I'm married and maybe I'm trying to stay there. Maybe, you know, I'm trying to drive my car in so I can move there. But I don't have anything in my car. Not much. I got just regular traveling stuff. I like driving. I hate the airports. Especially since COVID, oh my gosh, like I said, that's another podcast, but nightmare. I hate flying already. I like driving. Yeah, it's a few days to Texas, so what? I will go see Judy in Detroit. Someone offered me to stay along the way in Oklahoma and Tulsa. Beautiful. We're talking about two, three nights on the road. Not a big deal. Haven't been able to do these things since the world was shut down. The news says I can do these things now if I have my paperwork. I do have my paperwork and I'm being denied. But here's the thing on this incident, number six out of seven, I didn't even really talk to anybody. The guy at the gate says, okay, go to the next, you know, pull around the corner. I know the deal. Put the keys on the dashboard with your phone, take your wallet in. And I remember sitting there for like two hours, maybe longer. And no one really talked to me at all. And after a while, someone was like, has anyone even dealt with you? And he took the file, and I know he looked me up and down, and I could tell immediately he didn't like me. This was a short, 
shaved head guy, probably close to my age, in his 30s somewhere. Did not look happy, didn't look like a nice guy, looked like a bully. I'm just saying, this is how I read the guy. I know these types of guys. I could picture him getting drunk and messing with people at the bar. Kind of a jerk, I just wouldn't want to deal with. But now I have to deal with him. But the thing is, I didn't really even deal with him. He took my paperwork. I saw him reading through my files. The one thing he asked me was, how long are you planning on staying? I said, two months, hopefully. And he laughed. He chuckled. He said, yeah, probably not. He literally, literally, I'm not making this up. And I didn't hear anything from him. I guess he was looking through my file for the next however long, long time, 45 minutes, an hour. And he disappears for a while. Still nobody's talked to me. He hasn't even called me up to the counter. He kind of just came by and said, has anybody dealt with you? Give me your file. Give me your slip here. He goes and pulls the file from the back. Whatever. So he's actually the one that denied me, but he didn't talk to me. So after a while, they now asked me to come into the back, back room. The third stage, you could call it. I call it the dungeon. And this is where they could strip search you if they want. In this case, they didn't fully strip search me, but... This was cold weather, I remember. I did have a jacket on. Take your jacket off. They go through everything. They pat you down real tight. Could tell you to take your pants off if you want, but it's clear. I don't have anything on me. And again, my file, there's never been anything saying that I have contraband or anything. So this is just a formality, and it's not really a formality. This doesn't have to happen. You don't usually get pulled back into that dungeon. But for whatever reason, I think, personally, my opinion is that this guy really didn't like me. Something about the cut of my jib. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's my newsboy hat. Maybe I look like I had a chip on my shoulder and he didn't like that. I don't know. He didn't talk to me. He didn't give me the ability to state my case or anything. And the reason that was put on my denial form on that day was insufficient proof that I would return to Canada. Which, again, I've had the same proof that I'm returning to Canada the whole time. I've been traveling by plane to America, back and forth, every couple of months, to see my wife, same story, same paperwork. But I got denied the 6th out of 7th time. For this reason, drove back frustrated, and now I knew that it was probably going to be a problem when I tried to cross the next time, which I also knew would be by plane. And this was the first time that the denial was for insufficient proof of returning to Canada. This is very important. All those other ones... Yes, they forced me to go into the back room every time, but they weren't issues that they kept bringing up. It's not like every single time they're like, do you have a snake in your car? They realized this was an isolated incident. But now, number six, denial here, this led directly to the seventh. So this whole thing, why are you banned for six months? Because in October of 2022, I got denied for insufficient proof that I would return to Canada. The exact same denial that I got here in Detroit. But it was because of Detroit that now... That's what they're hammering in on me every single time. Are you going to stay here? Why? Because you got denied for insufficient proof of coming back to Canada. That's the last thing. Remember I said the thing they want to talk about is the last thing that happened. So now every time I've really got to make my case that I'm coming back to Canada, even though I've always come back to Canada, always when I said I would over many years now in this long record I've got. And you don't know my wife, but she is pissed at this point. Any time that I get denied, it means I cannot go and see her. And she's just never going to be happy about that. And I don't know which of these stamps in my passport, my new passport at this point, not the one that I was reading at the beginning of this podcast. I'm not sure which one on here is the first one after I got denied the sixth time, but... Here's a cool fact. 
A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I do remember the agent very specifically that I was dealing with. And same thing, I had the same paperwork. I can't really change my paperwork. I got my house bills. I've got whatever paperwork I've got. I'd just been denied at Detroit. Maybe this is a month or two later. And the officer's name was Kane. We're in Toronto, Pearson International Airport. He's a U.S. Customs agent. And honestly, here's the thing. He was walking through the parking lot while I was standing outside with my mother in the parking lot. Because Customs wasn't open yet. So he's a customs officer, right? It's not open yet. We're waiting for it to open. He walks in through the parking lot. He hears me talking to my mother. And by the way, my mother, she, over the past several years, has become, she was not always, but she's become kind of a conspiracy nut, even kind of like more serious than I am. And so all this government stuff, obviously all this lockdown stuff, all this craziness, she knows this story. I'm telling it to you for the first time, but she knows this story. I have to go to her house basically after every time that I get denied. And so when her and I are at the airport early in the morning talking about this, I don't know what we had to say, but it probably wasn't very nice. And Mr. Officer Kane happened to walk by and hear us talking smack, talking bad about this whole thing and the whole process and the masks and all this. I don't know what he heard. So I just happen to get this guy when I go through customs. And I can tell he doesn't like me, but I can tell he's kind of a fair dude. And he told me straight up, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to take your word at face value. You're going to see your wife even though you just got denied and whatever. Remember, maybe they thought I was going to move with my Kia Rio or something. This is why I bring up the Kia Rio or the Pontiac G5 2009, the 2011 Kia Rio these are like $2,000 vehicles in Detroit. I'm crossing Detroit all day. These are $2,000 vehicles. If I'm planning to live in America, it does not depend on me having my Kia Rio or not. I could care less about my Kia Rio. I couldn't imagine anybody caring deeply about their Kia Rio. So I'm waiting for the opportunity for the border to open so I can bring my Kia Rio into America and stay there forever. Meanwhile, I'm traveling back and forth consistently in a pattern I say I have a house in Canada. Maybe you don't believe me. I know it's a crime to lie to you. Why would I have a signed piece of paper for my mother if that incriminates my mother? If she is lying and she's not lying. So I get denied at Detroit and I know it looks bad on me. But in Toronto, Officer Kane said, I'm going to give you the opportunity to hang yourself. This is his words. I'm going to give you the opportunity to hang yourself. I'm going to write here in this passport that you have to be back by this date. And I don't know what date it is here. Like I said, maybe it's March 7th, 2022. Got to be back by March 7th, 2022. I don't, I don't know. 
class B2, I don't know what that means. But from then on, I got all these limited stays. So Kane let me through. He gave me the opportunity to hang myself, as he said. I went to Texas. I came back. Crossed again. Same story. Same paperwork. Still had to go to the back room and explain myself and all this stuff. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes I almost miss the flight. They keep me there so long. Never really know if I'm going to get through. My wife is waiting for the text message from me when I do get through and saying that, hey, I got through because you're not allowed to use your phone in that second stage area. So it makes the whole experience of traveling and flying much more stressful than it needs to be. And it's already a stressful situation. And I did this multiple times. Until October 8th, 2022, where I've got this big new stamp here. This is the first time I've ever been denied at an airport going into America. This was in Toronto, Pearson Airport. All the other times I got denied in America were at the land borders, the volunteering, the snake, the two times in one day at Niagara Falls, as soon as the pandemic happened. Next one sometime mid-pandemic. The sixth one was when they supposedly opened the border to everyone except for, I guess, shady characters like me. And then here, number seven, October 8th, 2022, where I was formally denied entry for the reason of insufficient proof of ties to Canada. This is why we have to tell the whole story. How does this make sense? Someone asked me, what do you mean insufficient ties to Canada? Aren't you Canadian? Yeah, I'm Canadian. Haven't you been traveling back and forth for years? Yeah, I have. My passport proves it. My extensive history at the border proves it. Any customs agent that I'm dealing with has access to my record there, which again shows extensive travel for many different reasons, but always telling the truth, even though I'm kind of a weird guy without a regular job and whatnot, and I'm dating these American women and whatnot, and I've never really been accused of lying. I get denied here on October 8th, 2022 by a female officer this time, and I get the feeling like she kind of just really wanted to look like she was doing her job properly, possibly to her superiors or something. Again, I'm actually pretty familiar with the staffs at these border junctions at this point. Pearson Airport, Detroit, New York. I recognize faces. And she looked sort of like a newer recruit who was trying to look like she was doing what she's supposed to be doing and denied me as a suspicious character, even though... On October 8th, 2022, I hadn't recently got denied. I had been denied in Detroit several crossings ago. I'd already crossed several times in between there. I go every couple of months, I go to Texas, and I come back, and I stay here for a couple of months, and then I go back to Texas. And my story's the same every time, and my paperwork is the same every time, except I've got newer bills. On this particular day, October 8th, 2022, I do remember. I forgot to put the latest bill that I had. But I had, you know, th uh, the month before that, and I was in Canada here. And what happened was, I had actually just come back on September 1st. I'd come back to Canada on September 1st from Texas. I was there during the summer for two months, as exactly as I said I was. Came back exactly when I said I was. But my wife was moving, actually. You know, you don't need the whole story. And they didn't get the whole story. But we were in a really crappy place in the woodlands, you know, north of Houston, Texas. Just this lame apartment complex. It was horrible, honestly. It was on a main intersection. Car noises is so loud and all kinds of problems with it. I really, really wanted to get her into a better place. And they just cranked the rent up. So we took this other place. She's in a house now. So she was moving here in October. And that's why I was going back so quickly. Normally, I go two months there, two months back. But I was going back quickly. 
And th this was my story. I didn't have any extra luggage. I usually don't even check a bag, by the way, because it's an extra hassle. I just, I don't want to. By the time I land, especially with these masks on, these mandates just lifted. I just took the first flight without a mask. On this day, October 8th, 2022, I flew from up north here, Timmins. I flew to Toronto. You have to stop in Toronto because it's an international airport. I have to stop there to deal with customs before I go to Texas. I can't fly just straight from Texas from here up north. Small airport here up north. Tiny little planes with propellers, you know, they're not going to Texas. I gotta go to Toronto first. But I, that was the first flight, the one from up here to Toronto. That was the first one I ever didn't have to wear a mask on. But I just want to get out of the airport as soon as possible, usually, so I don't check a bag. I don't need that much stuff with me. Again, I'm literally not trying to move there. I understand my limitations at the border. I'm supposed to spend half time there, half time back. But normally I would be allowed, as I said earlier, to be there six months continuously. This was the rule I was used to. This is why I can't go visit my friends willy-nilly, because the general rule, which is not a rule, it's just kind of a guideline, it no longer applies to me, because I'm trapped in the web of this border nonsense and on this date i got denied even though i had just been let through before which was in july by the way it was like july 3rd or 2nd they let me go to texas with my wife she was with me she was up here for the month of june we flew back together no problem came back september 1st tried to fly back october 8th why to help my wife move going to be quick this time couple of weeks because I know they want me to spend more time in Canada than I do in America. This is a new guideline that's been put into my little record there on my file. That even though normally you're supposed to just kind of be allowed to go six months in, six months back. This is how Canadians have houses in Florida and they just go down for the winter and they come back. They know they're not supposed to stay longer than six months. But even if they do, it's honestly not a huge deal if they have a good reason. And if it's a little bit past, like, again, it's not a rule, it's a guideline. But for me, if I go and say, I'm going to stay two months, they write it on my passport, you better be back on this date. Or they tell me in real life, you're threatened with being banned. They don't specify the date. They say, it could be whatever, it could be six months, it could be ten years, it could be forever. It's up to the discretion of the officer you're dealing with. So think of this, you know, I, I don't have a bad history i have a long history with the border but not a bad history and now i get threatened on a regular basis every time i cross with being banned for life for a year for whatever you know th these things would make my wife drop down in tears if i was banned from 10 years i'd have to move her up here but i mean this means we can't travel in america this is a huge deal and i'm being threatened for what because they're accusing me of maybe i'm trying to live in Texas, even though, again, I come back reliably, I've never argued this, they've even questioned the legitimacy of the marriage and everything, even though, again, on my original record, they have record of me going to meet her for the first time, what did I say, I'm going to meet a woman, Staten Island, pretty excited, how did you meet this woman, I told them how I met this woman, this is all in my file, until the day that we get married in front of a Texas judge, and they still want to question the legitimacy of it, even though I've traveled across the border multiple times for multiple reasons over multiple years. I've never needed to be married to cross, but all of a sudden when I got married, it became a huge deal. It became much harder to convince them of why I should cross. This might sound unusual to you. It was unusual to me. I didn't expect this. 
I actually thought it would be a little bit easier to cross. I have a more, quote, legitimate, unquote, reason to travel across, but I'm allowed to travel across by plane anyways, even during the pandemic. I have my paperwork. I could have been going to visit my friends in Boulder or Denver, no problem, they would have let me through, apparently no problem, if I was flying to Detroit to see Judy, no problem, you just can't cross at the land border, if I was going to Vegas, no problem, if I was going to Miami, no problem, going to get some sun, no problem, going to see my wife, all of a sudden, hey, we think you're trying to live here, but again, the only reason I'm back here in second stage is because I've been back here before. And I have to come back here every time and you have to have a reason to question me and you have to question me about whatever I say and I understand that. But if the only thing I have to say is that I'm going to see my wife, that's the only thing you have to question me on. And so they question the entire thing, then question the relationship. They question if I'm trying to stay there, trying to work there, trying to live there. Stuck to my story the entire time, never changed it, always coming back to Canada. From Canada, my family's in Canada, my house is in Canada, my stuff's in Canada. I don't ever want to be banned from either country. What the heck are we talking about? Been following the rules for multiple years, and yet I'm denied on October 8th, 2022 for the reason of insufficient proof to ties to Canada. So, this is where we are at to the present. This is the middle of February here, February 15th. Been at my house. It's the dead of winter right now. It's been a surprisingly mild and merciful winter here up north. I get to talk to my wife on the phone, and I will try to cross in April. I have paid a lawyer, I think it was 800, 900 Canadian dollars to get my name on the deed of the house with my mother. Chef Norman did not want his name on the deed. It's his business. But I got my name on the deed now. Hopefully that is sufficient ties to Canada. And by the way, I always have this folder with me. Written on it, it says Ryan's Border Papers. Like I said, I've got my bills, I've got whatever, I've got all kinds of things. My car ownerships and stuff. And now this time, I'm going to have my deed papers saying that I own this house in Canada. And bank statements, I'm going to print out January, February, March bank statements. Showing them what's going on because they've got this checklist that they give you. They give me this every time. They say, you should have more paperwork. And I say, I don't have a job. And sometimes they say, well, you should get a job. And I look at them like, come on. Telling me I should go get a job just to prove that I have a job in Canada? Like, what is going on? I know they don't know me personally. And like I said, it's their job to pry into everything, question everything. They let me talk and anything that I say, they're supposed to focus in on that. Anyway, so I have my bank statement. I also have a business in Canada. Notice Media Collective is my business name. I have a business number. I haven't filed profit or I, I haven't filed taxes on it, honestly, since 2019 when I registered the business. I am going to do that soon, literally like next week, because it is tax season right now. I don't know if that's going to help me at the border. I don't know if I'm going to have any paperwork for that. I should. And that will say that I do sell things here in Canada. I have a business in Canada, which is true. I do. I do sell things. I sell art. I sell prints. I sell a lot of these metal signs, prints on metal. I sell jewelry now. 
I'm going to have a actual jewelry license soon. It's not really a license. You pay a small fee. I think it's like 40 bucks, 60 bucks to be a registered jeweler in Ontario. Got lots of registrations in Ontario. Got my driver's license. Got my outdoors card, which is something that you can buy tickets or licenses for fishing or hunting or boating. All this stuff. I've got all this stuff. Got my passport. I actually have to renew my passport now. Another passport I'll have here on the table. Ten years goes by very quickly, so I'll have all this new paperwork I'm hoping to get through in April. No problem. I'm hoping that will make my wife very happy. I'll get to go and stay with her in her new place, which is a real house, not a townhouse. It's great. We've got a two-year lease on it. It does have problems, but it was a lot better than it was in the complex. And we're fully up to date now, but I assume anybody who's listened to this long, either we already know each other, or maybe you care about the story and whatnot. Maybe you're one of the people who asked me to actually tell this story. Well, now you see how weird of a situation I am in with my wife. Now that we've gotten married, it's an incredible hassle for both of us to cross, actually. We're both going to be scrutinized heavily. We haven't decided which country to actually settle in. I'm actually still arguing for Canada, even though all of the political stuff I'm not going to get into. I have plenty of problems with Canada. I have plenty of problems with America. There's plenty of benefits to both places. But I favor Canada in my overall argument, and that's between me and my wife. We don't talk about this with the border, other than the fact that I say the exact same thing I just said to you. We are not sure yet. Neither of us have residency or citizenship in the other country, but I have this form that says I am a confirmed relative spouse of an American citizen. It's an alien relative form. We submitted for that with the U.S. Customs Agency. It took many months for them to approve it, and right before I left America for the last time at the end of August, we got this notification that said I had been approved, I am officially recognized as a spouse or a relative of an American citizen. That doesn't give me any rights, doesn't give me residency or citizenship, it just allows me now to include that with the other pile of forms that I have to submit to actually apply for residency. Can't do that yet because I cannot prove that my wife can support me in America. My income in Canada doesn't even matter, believe it or not. My, my income, whatever I have to show in Canada, doesn't matter according to the residency submission process. My wife has to show that she can afford to sponsor me. And here, get this. I'm not the only one going through this trouble. I actually have a close friend who has been trying to get American residency as well. His wife also has American citizenship but they actually have much more money, liquid, and property assets. They, they have a lot of properties. They have money, basically, even if it's tied up in other places. They're at a different level in life than I am. And my friend, the male in the situation, exact same as I am, he's been having trouble for years getting in because of this proving income part of it. The sponsor has to prove their own income. doesn't matter what my wife has in the bank. It matters what her income is, and since she had just moved, she moved from New York to Texas during the pandemic. She was working in New York at a bank. She hasn't really worked. She had this one, you know, thing. It wasn't it wasn't what it was supposed to be, and 
it's not a real job. She does not have an income. She's actually, she might get an income right now. She might go work at another bank right now for a while, bring in an income. One reason for the money. Second reason, so that I can actually apply for this residency thing, because me being officially recognized as the spouse of an American citizen doesn't matter when one of the required forms for me to apply for residency is her income statements, her sponsorship ability. So we're stuck there, actually. This is me just letting you know where we're at. I'm stuck here. I don't really know what to do. We haven't decided what country to buy a house in, a real house. We've just signed a two-year lease at this new place. I hope within the next two years or year and uh, three quarters now. Hope we find somewhere else to buy. But us buying something in America does not help me get residency. She could come here with her children, by the way. She could come here with her children and we could apply for residency within Canada. But this is just a decision we haven't fully made yet. We do have some money, but we haven't spent any of it. We've just put it in this pile that we have that is enough to buy kind of a decent home. We haven't made these decisions yet. We don't know. And that's where we're at. We're just moving forward. I'm continuing to make content, doing what we do. Business is actually booming. My wife... And I, you know, we're the ones that do most of the putting in orders and stuff. So a lot of this we do on the phone these days. And we're both very busy running this thing. Be very nice to be able to see each other in person. It's a little bit weird that I'm kind of banned in my eyes for being married to an American. It does annoy me when I see all these headlines about all these people coming in, especially from Mexico. A lot of them are not even Mexican. They're just coming in from Mexico. Apparently, I'm not saying that I even believe these headlines. But it does annoy me that uh, Canada and America have such a close relationship. We're major economic business partners. I myself just have a long history and relationship with America, which is clearly evident on my extensive border history now got a wife in america i've shown myself to be cooperative with all the rules and i'm kind of not able to properly plan my future because of this actually i I don't even know i don't want to stay in america as an illegal alien you know because if i ever leave america come back to canada go anywhere else my wife and i ever want to go anywhere else i mean i've been to europe she hasn't i've been to australia she hasn't I have friends in these places. Maybe I want to go back. Maybe I want to show her. Maybe I want to travel. Maybe I want to live life. You know, if I'm stuck in America because I'm there illegally, because I go there and I don't go back to Canada when I say I'm going to, I'm now an illegal alien. Why would I want to live life like this? I don't want to live life like this. But what if I buy a house in America and, you know, I put all my chips in that basket and I'm unable to move forward in my registration process for permanent resident for any number of reasons that could just stop the process or even like my friend with his wife who they're well off reasonably they have properties and so on it's taken them years to get to the point where they're even allowed to go and stay in their apartment in california together and even right now they had to leave the country and go to their country they were living in because that's what their visa restrictions required even though the wife is an american citizen these are well-off people It's been many years they've been trying to live in their place in California for many years, and it's just so hard for them. I don't know what the future holds for myself and my wife. I know that next time at the border, I'm going to have the exact same story. I'm going to have more paperwork. I've got my deed. Hopefully, I'll have my taxes on my bank statements, showing that I have some money coming in from 
Canadian incomes, my Canadian property, all this stuff, hoping I get in no problem, hoping she can actually come back with me and just like last year, spend the summer up here, spend June up here. It would be amazing to go back to life as normal. Honestly, there's a lot to say about the existing restrictions like pre-pandemic, what the already restrictions were at borders and such, the differences between border crossings in this hemisphere rather than Europe and so on. Like I could tell stories about crossing into Africa, totally different than trying to cross into America, traveling all across Europe, no problem. You can hop on a train and go country to country, no problem, no customs, lots to say on it. I didn't know that this would become such a big part of my life. Like literally right now, my wife and I are stuck in different countries and we're at a standstill about what to do about our future. We both have this idea that if I had more money, you know, we're just stacking up money. If I had more money that maybe I'd be able to solve this problem. It's not like you can bribe somebody, but maybe if I was able to just buy our dream home here or there, you know, maybe we could stay there and, and do the application in. I'm not talking about illegally. I'm talking about if I'm Canadian and I do the application in America, it's actually a stipulation that I can't leave the country without a very, very good reason. It has to be registered and all that. I can't leave the country during that application, so that's the way around that. I haven't yet applied for my residency, so if I wait and go to America and apply while I'm there, then I, that means I can't leave America while I'm there, and this could take years, but that could be a way around it. And so my wife and I both have this idea that within the next two years, if we have enough money, if we buy a place in either of our countries, that we will basically be able to finally settle down and build a life together, work on our thriving business together instead of mobile we're working like we're in social isolation right now, social distancing. We have to talk on the phone for hours a day about things that we could do in person and enjoy each other's company like normal people with normal rights. I'm talking about people who haven't broken the law. And even though the world looks like it's gone back to normal, it definitely hasn't gone back to normal for me. I have not been able to cross in my car yet. I haven't tried again since that last incident in Detroit. I would love to drive again. I would love to see Judy in Detroit. I haven't told you about Judy, and I'm not going to, but, you know, this was part of my life. I would like to resume it. I'd like to go to Detroit. I'd like to go to the thrift shops in Detroit. Love the thrift shop scene in Detroit and the surrounding cities. would love to take that road trip down through Missouri and Oklahoma and all that. would love to have my car down there in Texas so I don't have to use my wife's car and whatever. Just, I mean, little things that used to be no problem love if my life could return to that and honestly i think this is all i'm going to say about this right now i think i've told you the whole story this has gone even longer than i thought it was going to but i knew if i was going to sit down and tell this story i'm going to tell you the whole story and it's probably going to take a while and like i said i hope i don't have anything to add to this i hope we do figure it out and we are able to move on to the next phase which will also mean the next phase in production of content i've always envisioned this you know i th kind of thought i had already settled down here up north this is the longest i've ever been anywhere four years in this house and it's being here that's enabled me to run an internet business and make videos make audios and i make most of my money on instagram a little bit of it on youtube none of this could have happened if i wasn't settled down and my wife always says, when I'm in Texas, I make more money. And it's it's kind of true, I guess. We could have some arguments about the data here. But in general, I do make more money when I'm there. I am more productive when I'm there. And I just think it's because I'm together with my wife. I'm where I want to be with her. We do work together. 
She does cook for me and stuff, honestly. I have to cook for myself when I'm here. It takes time. I can't work if I'm cooking. And I hope when we finally settle down wherever we do, we will be able to kick up production of content and quality and quantity to the next level across all platforms. Maybe it's just a pipe dream, but whatever. That's where we're at. And before I sign off here, I'm here on a new day, by the way. I told you I'd tell you a story about the Canadian side of the border, dealing with the Canadian authorities. And there's lots of stories, actually. My interactions with the Canadian authorities are completely different from America. I don't have to grovel to Canada at all. I don't have to prove anything. I don't need any paperwork. And I don't have to speak nicely to these people. And I usually am quite polite, by the way. I am Canadian. Please and thank you is basically like the first words we learn. But I did this entire recording purposefully without cursing, without swearing, because I normally don't swear on record here. But it's one of the reasons I stalled, actually. I said, how am I going to tell this story without speaking in utter contempt about the people on the other side of the counter? The agents themselves, not the policies. I didn't know if I could do this recording without, like I said at the beginning, sounding like a whiny baby. Because if I'm blaming the individual agents, it sounds like I'm obfuscating the issue. It sounds like I have an issue with the border regulations themselves and I'm blaming the agents. But hopefully, if you've heard this whole story, you can realize now, it actually does come down to who I'm dealing with at the border. I just got banned for six months, not for something that happened recently, something that happened several crossings ago. Between my sixth denial and the one that I just had, the six month one, I had crossed already on the plane with the same documents that I had, but because the individual agent only wanted to focus on the last time that I was denied, she wasn't able to use logic and see that, well, I've crossed. Since then, the last agent I dealt with thought that I was not a flight risk. They still limit me to two months or one month or whatever, which is incredibly annoying. This whole thing would be a lot easier if I could just do six months there and six months back, which is what I was able to do before and what every other Canadian is able to do. Now I have these new restrictions for literally no reason. It's not because I was trying to volunteer in Pennsylvania back in 2017. It's not because I tried to bring a snake over the border in 2018. The only reason I have these new restrictions is just because I'm stuck in the web of the system and every agent that you deal with is different. So I didn't want to make it personal, basically. I didn't want to make this an ad hominem thing. Like, oh, these people that work at the border, they just, they suck so much. I hate them. And this is also one reason I don't like talking about this in general. When several of these incidents happened, I didn't even want to tell my wife about them. I had to, obviously, but I didn't want to talk about it. Because anger and hatred poisons you, right? When you're angry at somebody, it doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. I think of it literally as a poison. That When you're thinking angry thoughts or when you're thinking about hatred, I envision it coursing through my veins, blackening them. You can't think clearly when you're angry. So not only does it do nothing to the person you're angry at, doesn't affect them at all, it does affect you. It does affect your ability to think and act rationally. It might cause you to do avoidance behaviors like watching TV, drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes, doing drugs, you know, just going out with the buddies, doing something to avoid these negative thoughts. Whereas I much prefer, instead of avoiding these things, just focusing on the positive. And sometimes that means just straight up not talking about the negative. I can't do anything about these situations. If I get denied because the dude in Detroit didn't like the cut of my jib, 
or because the trainee agent chick that denied me for six months wanted to prove something to her bosses or something. I just can't do anything about these things. And it's kind of like a breakup too, right? You break up with somebody and you get caught up in wondering like, I wonder why they did this, why they really said that and all this. You don't really have these answers. I don't really know why they denied me. I don't really know what was going through the mind of that individual agent. I'm wasting my time by thinking about it. I'm poisoning myself by thinking about it. And I really just wish I didn't actually have to cross. I didn't have to deal with these people. I also don't like the TSA, the whole security thing. I'm, that would be a whole nother podcast, but I don't have to use TSA if I can just drive like normal. This was my normal life before. Even with several denials, I was still able to live basically a cross-border life. Go and see my friends in Colorado whenever I wanted. Go to Judy's house in Detroit anytime I wanted. Drive across the country if I wanted. They were happy to let me in to do that. Now I'm married apparently and that means I'm going to stay even though I continue to go back and forth and any single one of these trips I could have just stayed. If that's what I really wanted to do. Agent Kane, whenever that was, he said, I'm going to give you the rope to hang yourself. I'm going to let you go through. If you don't come back, it's your problem. Maybe he genuinely thought I wasn't going to come back. But if I wasn't going to come back, that was my opportunity to do it. Anyways, the frustration with all this is immense. And I'm saying this now because it wouldn't be fair, I think, to leave this whole thing out of context. The context is... I truly have no respect for these people. This is anyone who works for these border agencies. I'm not condemning everybody across the world who works for a border agency. But, let me back up a minute. I used to also hate cops and soldiers. Just flat out hatred, no exceptions. I have a cop beating a baby tattooed on my forearm. It was a long time ago, but the sentiment is very much still there in me. And I do wear long sleeves at the borders and in the airports, by the way. But since I've gotten in the health business and now my job is really to deal with and talk to many, many different people, people from all different walks of life, I have had to put my feet in many different shoes now. And I think I have a much more positive view of humanity in general. And I've been forced to admit that not all cops are bad people. And actually, there is a handful now that I respect. I have full-blown respect for them as human beings and as cops. The way they do their job, I respect it. And I've written a whole book, by the way, bashing the government. It's called Everything the Government Does is Bad for Us. Of course, again, you can always find my books and audiobooks on my website, notusbooks.org. So it's not as simple as just, like, defund the police. I don't believe in that. I go into that in my government book. And I am well aware that we need things like protection and response units, people that respond to problems that happen. So cops, in essence, are necessary in some form. I believe it would be fantastic if we in Canada were allowed to defend ourselves. Like certain American states, you're allowed to defend yourself. Therefore, police are a lot less necessary, at least in the defense realm. You're allowed to own guns here in Canada. You're not allowed to defend yourself with it. So I'm saying I disagree with some aspects, many aspects of what the police do. But I know now that there are good cops, men and women that I would literally trust, not just with my life in a cop situation, but I would trust them with, you know, my credit card information or just, you know, I would trust them to keep a secret or not to screw me over. I don't know. Regular trust things that you would give with a friend or somebody, you know. And I started to learn this many years ago, by the way. I worked at a gym for four years, a small gym. So anyone who's been to a small gym, you probably know the setup. One or two people can usually watch the desk, answer the phone, 
handle anything on the floor as well. You know, if you have a problem with the bathroom, you go to the person at the front desk. We don't need a huge staff to run a gym. So I'm just saying, I had to interact with a lot of people, and a lot of them were actually cops. So I started to learn back then that, now nah, they can't all be bad people. Soldiers I was more prejudiced against for longer. I do know some people who went into the military. I do not like their personalities, certain aspects of them. I do think that certain types of people gravitate towards the military, and many of them, in my opinion, are not great characters, at least the ones that I knew personally. But, being in this business, being exposed to so many people, sometimes people invite me right into their homes, and one of them was a soldier, actually, and he was actually a really good guy. I don't agree with his job, and he's actually pretty woke, I would say. That's Woke used to mean, like, you're aware of things. Now, woke means that you're a social justice activist or something like that. But I would have called him woke back then, before the word got taken away. So I think he's aware that the reasons he joined the military are different from his views now. And that's fine. I respect him. Again, he let me in his home, fed me. I slept there. He showed me tremendous hospitality. He's just one person, but I am also in contact with many other people who are or have been in the military, and I just can't write them all off. So those two groups of people now, cops and soldiers, I'm open to friendships and partnerships with them at this point in my life. But people who work for the TSA, the security, American security in the airports that was ramped up after 9-11, it was not necessary before, the type of security that we don't use at trains or baseball stadiums or other places where 3,000 or more people could be put at risk from a, quote, terrorist attack. You know, that type of security, that if the terrorist attack was really a threat, the type of security that we might want to implement all throughout society, not just on these little tin cans that we fly through the sky. You know, the type of security the TSA performs in an airport that could have been solved with an extra locked door on the pilot's cabin. That waste of countless dollars and countless hours of innocent people's times because all of us who are going through a hardcore security checkpoint we know not to bring in the bad stuff yeah i know lots of people still try to bring shampoo and water bottles in but those are not a threat that's just some junk made up by these stupid agencies in partnerships with airports and governments to get you to buy their six dollar water bottles once you enter the airport it's all nonsense and by the way let's just say i've spent a lot of time in these border back rooms and stuff and there's this show on television in Australia and in Canada, and in America, I think. It's called Border Border Patrol, Border Security. It's just like a reality TV show of what happens at the borders. And honestly, I've watched a bunch of these episodes. I'm pretty sure most of them are fake. I've never seen anybody bring drugs in at any of these borders. I'm sure it does happen, but I'm also sure that most criminals are a lot smarter than that. And they find another way to get drugs into a country, especially in Canada, America, where we have the, literally the longest border in the world. It's the world's longest land border. It is mostly not fenced. If you wanted to bring kilos of cocaine over, I personally would not use a border. And I don't think another criminal would either. So I don't think they're stopping anything. And I think it's really convenient that most of the people on these border patrol shows that they catch with drugs... Conveniently, they're almost always wearing this uh, nondescript clothing, right? Brand logos, because they have to blur out brand logos. So just conveniently, all these criminals just wear generic clothing. Most of it does look like it just came right out of a wardrobe. And most of them are young, like 
actor age. They freaking look like actors and not very good actors. I'm just saying, I think most of them are staged. I don't think these people, these security checkpoints are doing actually anything worthwhile. And that doesn't mean just let everybody in of every country. Again, I recognize a country does want to regulate who comes in its country. You should do that. I say you should do that even more. Okay, so we're not making this an immigration thing, but Canada pays people from all over the world to come here and live here. America also pays people from all over the world to come and live there. You know, these so-called refugees. I'm not going to get into it. Maybe they are real refugees. I don't know. But these governments pay for other people to come into the country. And then they block perfectly innocent people like me and many others from coming in for the stupidest of things. All the time that I've ever spent back in these back offices, I've never seen a real criminal back there. If anything, I am the dodgiest person back there. Usually it's foreigners. People from a different country, people who don't speak English, a lot of them are Indian and Chinese. This is just typical. Who am I in these back rooms with? It's usually a bunch of Sikhs and Chinese people. One of the most common things I see people be pulled into that back room for is for seeded fruits. America's really serious about seeded fruits and other seeds and wood that could possibly have bugs on it, right? Canada's serious about that stuff too, but that's actually most of what is back there. Or just paperwork problems. Right, they've. You came here from India. You've been here for this long, but you were supposed to apply for this thing. You know, just paperwork BS, bureaucratic BS. That's. This is most of the cases. This has to be ninety-five percent of all reasons that people are put into that back room, second stage. Never seen drugs. Never seen guns. I've heard stories. Yeah, like especially in Detroit, you can very accidentally pop onto the road that takes you onto the bridge to cross into Canada, and you can't turn around. So there's stories that. People in Detroit, they just accidentally took this partial right here, took them onto a ramp going into Canada, and they couldn't turn around. And they did have guns or drugs on them or whatever. But this is a far cry from an actual necessary function for society. I think these border checkpoints could still exist. And it would be easy to check cars and stuff. You can check cars. Honestly, I don't even have a problem with this. You want to check cars, that's fine. They're checking my whole life. And anything that comes up in my life is literally considered suspect. Even though none of these things have ever been crimes or even, you know, called crimes. I've never been accused of a crime at the border. It's just bureaucratic nonsense. So I said that whole hatred thing because I do hate this thing. I hate this stupid system. And it's not just because it's not working for me currently. I hated it before. It was stupid before. TSA was stupid always. Not being able to bring in a water bottle to the airport is, has always been stupid. It's never been justified. And I wouldn't agree that we should also put security in train stations and stadiums but if you're trying to make sense here if you're trying to use logic and say this is why we have this policy this is why we need this stepped up security at airports it's to save lives in a case of a potential terrorist attack well if we use any bit of kindergarten logic that would mean that we should also secure other high density locations thousands upon thousands of people cross through train stations every day stadiums fill up with tens of thousands of people these are perfect opportunities for terrorism and the security there is how it's always been. It's just enough to maintain peace and order over crowds and drinking and stuff like that. And for the most part, we manage these things in society quite well. We don't need these extra, extremely expensive, bureaucratic, nonsense, pseudo-security measures. The TSA is a pseudo-security measure, and so is the border for the most part. You're not stopping much other than people like me and foreigners without full residency it you're, you're there to deal with us and to make sure that people don't bring seeded oranges over the border 
And I don't think I would hate these people. And I don't really hate them in the sense that, like, I think about them and, like, it matters for my life. It doesn't. It's just, how can I respect people who work at the TSA or people who work at the border, the Canada-US border specifically? How could I respect them when they have such a culture of indifference? If you've ever had to deal with the TSA or the border, you know they act like they don't care. So cops will tell you, I'll tell you in the health business actually, people who care too much, people who are too empathetic, they drop out of being a cop. They quit. Ask cops. Go ask cops. The nicest cops you ever met. What happened to them? They probably quit after a few years. Me in the health business, if you've got too big of a heart, if you care too much that every person that you're dealing with, that they do your advice because you're so invested in it emotionally, if that's you, you will not make it in the health business. You cannot be a nurse. You can't because the disappointments of these businesses will crush you. You will not be able to take it. You have to care less. I'm not saying not care at all, but you have to care less to be in a people business. You cannot be fully emotionally invested in everything that happens or you will exist in an emotional hurricane. So, good, caring, empathetic, logical, intellectually active people, you couldn't be a TSA worker, you couldn't be a security guard for TSA, you couldn't be a border officer, you'll be bored, your values will be challenged, right, your values not to harass innocent people, again, not saying everybody's innocent, but the vast majority of people I've ever seen in the back office, especially during this COVID time, this COVID nonsense, they're there for bureaucratic reasons, they're not bad people. So people who care about people, it's going to hurt your feelings to be a border officer and you're constantly rejecting good people for stupid reasons. That's all they do. Most of them for most of their career. Yeah, or they'll be bored, really bored. And cops and soldiers, by the way, you know, they have a lot more stimulation. They actually get to go outside and stuff. Even the ones that are at the desk, they've got different paperwork. I mean, it's not the same thing every day. They do get to make individual judgments and they have a, a fair bit of autonomy in their lives. Not total... I'm not saying it's a great job that I agree with all this stuff, but hey, it's, it's more autonomous than being a border agent or being a TSA agent. These people are standing at stations. It is a very boring job. They do act bored, but they also completely act like they're not in a hurry at all. Both TSA and Border Patrol. Again, I'm not just making this up. Anybody who's gone through the borders knows this. They do not act like they are in a hurry. For some reason, they hire people that are either lazy to begin with, or there's just a culture of laziness. There's a culture of, ah, don't worry about it. There's a culture of, ah, screw the civilians. Who cares? I don't care if it takes you an extra five minutes to go through this thing. I don't care if you miss your flight. Sometimes they'll tell you this. So there is a definite and strong culture of, I don't give a damn about you in these agencies. That's why I don't respect them. With your little blue pants and your little blue shirt. If you're a good person, this would turn you off, turns me off. It's gross the way that you get treated in these places. Not even me. I watch how they treat other people. It's disgusting. All of the superiors, it does not matter who you're dealing with there. It does not matter what it says on their badge. All of them act like this at every single stage. Cops don't act like that, by the way. I've been arrested many times when I was a kid. A dozen times or more. I've been caught lying to the police. They have it on record. They proved that I lied. And the border doesn't know any of this, by the way, because agencies don't talk to each other. They have to really dig around and make phone calls if you want a person's information in another department. Like your health card, your health record, your police record, your immigration record, your customs record. These are all different agencies that don't talk to each other. Don't share records unless requested. And yet, 
during those incidents and even after, even later, we still get pulled over. Chef Norman and I got arrested just a few years ago for doing nothing, for driving. We got arrested and, and hassled and it happens, but still we're treated with respect. And I know I'm a white male, privilege and whatever, but I'm treated with a lot more respect from cops in general. Don't have to interact with a lot of soldiers, but the ones that I have interacted with have actually been more respectful than regular civilians. You know, even after they get out of the military 30 years later, a lot of these guys, they're still pressing their shirts and, you know, they're presenting themselves well and they stand up straight and they speak with respect. They look you in your eyes. These are all great traits. I see none of this from border people. The longer I have to deal with these people, the less respect I have for them. You got no coverage, but now you got a badge. I do not try to show it, although I'm sure some of it seeps through. And I know some people listening will be like, well, if you're such a disrespectful person, you know, maybe they shouldn't have let you through. And that's fair. If we think it's fair to interfere with people's lives because you don't like their attitude, I don't think that's fair. And I don't actually have an attitude on the American side of the border. I try to be actually much sweeter than I normally am. And like I said, when you're dealing with the judgment of the individual agent, you don't even know. Is it better to smile? Is this guy going to not like me because I'm smiling? Should I not smile and look like I'm sullen? I have no idea. I'm not a psychologist. I shouldn't have to know any psychology to do this. I shouldn't have to constantly keep proving things that I have a mile-long file saying that there's never been a problem, right? The whole thing's stupid. So I don't respect these people, and I don't treat them with respect on the Canadian side. These are definitely jobs that once you get the job, I lose respect for you. You have to be an excellent person. To be a cop, too. I'm not just going to respect any cop. You better be an excellent person. You better not cheat on your wife. You better not pocket drugs, frame anybody or any craziness like that. You better not pull your gun against some kid that has a stick. Right? They're held to extra scrutiny. If you're going to take one of these positions of power, you better be an extra good person, in my opinion. And I think this is one reason we're so hard on politicians when they have transgressions, because we do genuinely expect more from them. More than some average civilian. If you want to get drunk and cheat on your wife, you go work at Ford or GM or some other low-level job with the rest of us schmucks. You don't get to be in a position of power or authority unless you are an excellent person. That's just my opinion. Maybe we're getting too moralistic here, but hey. You take a job as a Canadian border officer, I lose all respect for you unless I have some other reason to respect you. So, often my wife, when I do make it through customs, she'll be like, so what was the agent like that you dealt with? And I swear to you, it was only one time that I said, you know what, that guy, he was actually a decent guy. I looked in his eyes, he looked like he was a decent man. I'm not talking about Kane, by the way, that guy who let me through, let me hang myself. No, that guy was a jerk. Come from the hood and you switch. He had the sense of entitlement that all of them do. That sense of power over me. Thumb over me. That I always feel from them. And I've been a bully when I was a kid in elementary school and high school and stuff. I know what it feels like to have that power over people. And I know what it feels like to be on the other side of it. And that's what they're doing to me. So, no, I have no respect for Kane. Money ain't that good, man. You ain't rich. Again, I don't mean to get too ugly here, but you're a loser, bro. He's like my age. You've got a lame job. You have no autonomy. It turns out there are three factors that the science shows lead to better performance, not to mention personal satisfaction. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. I know your paycheck's pretty lame, too. I know it's a super boring job, too. And you look unhappy. Kane looked like a pretty depressed guy. 
I wonder if his buddies respect him. I don't think they should. I think these people should have a hard time getting laid. So that one nice guy, I would say, I don't know his name, he did let me through, but he still pestered me just as much as the rest. I could just tell in his face that he didn't want to do it. But he also had this sadness about him, this lameness. Looks like a man who knows his life is stupid. One of my favorite recent books, by the way, David Graeber, B.S. Jobs. He talks about this. He talks about how demoralizing it is to have a job that you know is useless. And he talks about the fact that a lot of these people, it doesn't even matter that they actually make decent money and can have a decent material life. They're just not happy doing a job that they know is meaningless. And in this case, that's what I sensed on that man. So I'm thinking about it, because you have lots of time back there to sit there and think about all these little things. Thinking about this guy's life. Thinking, you know, yeah, he's got a wedding ring on. He looks like he'd probably be a good husband. He doesn't look like the type of guy that would cheat on his wife. He doesn't look like he would hit his kids or anything like that. He looks like probably a nice guy, but... I don't know, like, what hobbies could this guy have to make up for it? What, what could this guy do in his spare time to really make up for it? Other than being a good father, a good husband, good friend. Could he do anything that could contribute to this world? You don't have to contribute to this world, I guess, but it's not good enough that you're nice to your family and you're a jerk to me, or your whole job is to uphold these stupid bureaucratic procedures. I just can't find a reason to respect you. That one man, yeah, I would have more respect for him for being a good father, being a good husband, whatever, but there's just nothing to latch onto here. And when they all look sad, every single one of them, they always look just like sad people. They always look bored. They always look grumpy. The only ones I've seen with any hint of a smile have been trainees, and then I don't usually see them again. Or you do see them again, and they become a sullen jerk like the rest of them. So when I'm dealing with the Canadian authorities, this is my final story. I'm on my way out here. When I'm dealing with the Canadian authorities, I just don't have to pretend like I like them. I don't have to pretend like I respect them. And at the border, I know that the Canadian authorities really can't do much to me in most cases. They can't detain me without a very good reason. And I'm not giving them a reason. So I haven't had any border troubles at Canada, except some BS during the COVID. So for a minute there... Because these regulations kept changing, so I'm trying to stay on top of it. You need a test to, to leave the country, and then you, you, know, you don't, but you need a test to come into the country, and then okay. And then for a while, they were doing quarantine in Canada, right? So if I left Canada, went to the U.S., when I came back to Canada on the plane, they said I would have to do quarantine in a hotel that you pay for, which is nuts. All of this is nuts. I'm not doing quarantine. Stop it. Especially if you're the ones that made me go on this tin can full of hundreds of other people. I'm happy to drive in my own little tin can and deal with nobody. So I'm not flying into Canada to do quarantine, obviously. And I don't want to just throw a fit in there. I saw some people like Chris Sky get on the no-fly list for asserting their rights or whatever. But you don't have rights. There's laws, right? They can change laws. It's not a right. People say, oh, we have God-given rights. Well, no, no, you don't. Not in the eyes of the law. That None of that matters. So I'm not going to go and raise a fit in a Canadian airport and get on the no-fly list and that would cut me off from leaving the country. Because remember, I have not been able to drive across the border since the pandemic hit. Now it's for reasons that have nothing to do with the pandemic, but whatever. So instead of flying into Canada in those early months, I would fly to Detroit and cross in a cab, a taxi. You can't just walk across the border, you have to take a taxi. 
And it still ends up being cheaper than flying into Canada anyways, because Canada is just always unanimously more expensive for flying. So flying to Detroit, get on a taxi, go to the border. First time I got in, no problem. I had the test that I got in Texas, let me through. Cab takes you into Windsor, Ontario, drops me off, and I make my way home. Second time, they had changed the regulation, so the test that I got the time before, it's a different test that you need now. I didn't know that. I showed up with the regular test at the border in a cab, even wearing my mask. I'm being a good boy here, I guess, because I don't want them to hassle, especially with the cab there, because they could tell him to just turn around with me in the car, and he can do that. If I get out of the car, it's a, it's a situation. So I'm just trying to be on my best behavior just to get through the border. But I didn't have the right test, so they gave me a fine... I mean, they gave me the option to turn around, but I'm not turning around paying this cab to go take me to a clinic, get a test, wait for it, come back, right? This is ridiculous. So they gave me the option of turning around or taking a fine. The fine was over $6,000 Canadian. It, I think it was 62 or 63, 6,500, something like that. I don't know. I took the fine. I really don't know how they sleep at night, honestly. That's your job to hand out $6,000 tickets for some stupid infraction that just came up. And I'm not even protesting, right? I have a test with me. I'm not sitting here saying, I don't need no test. I have constitutional rights. I'm not saying that. I just had the wrong test. $6,000. So I did not pay that, by the way. You have the option of fighting it. Chose to fight it. They summoned me to court on Zoom, which was new to me. You do court on Zoom. And uh, very quickly, they offered to take it down to $1,000. And I said, I will accept the charge if the fine amount is $0. Which might sound crazy to you, by the way, but legally, I know this is a thing in Canada. I can accept the charge for zero dollars. It still will show up on my record that I got this ticket, that I got this infraction. But you don't have to charge me any money for it. And they're starting out high at sixty-five, sixty-two hundred dollars. I'm starting out low at zero dollars. Even them saying one thousand dollars, I've gotten a lot of speeding tickets and other driving tickets. A thousand dollars is a huge ticket. That's a big deal. But with driving tickets, they threaten to take your license away. So I have to pay the tickets or I lose my license. But they weren't threatening licenses for these uh, made-up new laws. They're not laws. They're not... I don't, I don't know what they are. You can't ticket me for something that's against the law if it's not a law. So they said we would have another hearing because they just rejected my $0 offer. They didn't want to negotiate at all. They said the lowest that they're going to go is $1,000. I said, well, I guess I'm not going to accept that offer. So we're supposed to get another date, but that was, I think, over a year ago now, that last date. So I don't think they're going to bug me about it anymore. Just wanted to throw that out there. You don't have to pay their stupid fines sometimes. And before I go, I will tell you the funniest story that I have with the Canadian border. It was one of these times that I got rejected at Detroit. So it was either the fifth or the sixth rejection at the border. Don't remember, but... They have to send you back through the Canadian border, right? They don't always know the full story, but you do have a form with you that says you got rejected. And once you're rejected from the U.S., there's really no business on the Canadian side. You'll get to the Canadian border. They'll say, what happened? Say, oh, I was just rejected for this. They'll say, okay, that's it. They just drive on through. There isn't supposed to be a protocol on their end. If I had gotten rejected for drugs or guns or something illegal, I actually would have been arrested on the American side. So you don't get to just drive up. Like, everything's cool on the Canadian side. So they know if I'm just driving up, and it's a rejection, then it wasn't anything illegal, and actually it's none of their business. They will ask you why. You actually don't need to tell them the story. You don't need to say anything. So, I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm upset after I've gotten rejected from the U.S. border, and I have to drive through the Canadian border now. 
anybody who looks at me can see this guy's not having a good day. So that's okay. I'm just driving through this border and I'm on my way out. But sometimes they do want to pull you to the side. And I know they have no right to do this, basically. As a Canadian, I can refuse this. But they want to pull me to the side. Sometimes they want to check your vehicle. In this case, they did not want to check my vehicle. They just wanted to talk. And these were three or four young, I could tell, new Canadian border officers. And there was this super obese lady for the health service. I don't know why they hired these obese women. There's more than one massively, morbidly obese woman at the Canadian-Detroit border who are supposed to be there for the COVID guidelines and stuff. I don't know. They're a health coach. I, I don't know what their real job is because I know legally I don't have any business with them at all. They're just standing there. But they're all there standing in the parking lot hanging out because most of these losers at this loser job, that's all they do. They stand around and hang out. Again, I, I never meant to get so personal. I avoided this in the regular podcast, but this is how I'm driving through and I see it. Just a bunch of young losers with a stupid job. They probably have no skills otherwise, right? Probably has no skills. That nice guy who let me through that one time probably has no skills. I don't look at any of these people and just see anything. I don't mean to be overly rude. When I hear them talk to each other, they're talking about Netflix and drinking beer for the most part. Why else would you get a border job if you have skills? If you have any actual skill in life, why would you work for the border police? Even if you really wanted to be a cop, you had cop-like skills, you had detective skills, you have endurance, physical training skills. Why would you want to be a border officer where you sit in a chair and do nothing all day with a sour face on? And even the little work that you have to do, you do it extremely slowly because everybody's trained just to be a slow jerk. Someone with the blue blood, the cop in their veins, they would not want to be a border officer. So I see these young Canadian new trainee officers and this obese health lady standing there talking. They clearly have not been in this job very long because they don't have the sour look about them. They just have a stupid look about them. And the man, the boy, came up to me and he wanted to talk about what happened. And I'm giving him very short answers because I know it's none of his business what happened. I do not need to tell you the story of what happened. In fact, I don't even need to show you this piece of paper that I have that says what happened on it. I only had to show the guy at the gate that. I don't have to show you anything. And I'm seconds away from cursing this kid out because he's sitting there clearly with nothing to do. And that's why he wants to talk to me with his two little girl trainee colleagues there and the obese health lady. They just want to chat because they have nothing else to do. And after getting rejected, I have zero patience and I have a long drive back to Toronto from Windsor. This kid wants to hear the story and I want to tell him where to go. So he sensed this and he said the funniest thing that's ever been said to me at any border. He said, you're not mad at us, are you? As if that mattered, honestly. This guy was concerned that I was upset with him. I thought it was funny. I actually laughed right there. And I think it just goes to show, you know, how pathetic this whole freaking thing is. How stupid this whole system is. You could absolutely protect a border without this circus. If I or anyone else had actually done anything actually wrong or illegal, both countries have the ability to detain and punish us for that. The rest of this charade makes no sense in the light of not being a criminal. Not being accused of being a criminal. And many of the individual agents do seem like they know the system is stupid. Maybe that's part of why they look so demoralized in general. They know this whole thing is stupid. They know they're not contributing anything. Maybe they know that these drug busts on the Border Patrol show is actually 
just for TV. Maybe they know they could have done something in life, could have followed their dreams, could have become a welder or an architect or an artist or any number of things to make their living instead of one of the most pathetic, boring jobs that requires literally no skills, no social skills, no physical skills of any kind. Maybe they'd be holding their head up high if they did something else with their lives. And that kid at that border, and those two little girls, and that obese health coach, I hope they all find something useful to do with their lives. I hope they don't spend the next 20 years working at Border Patrol. It's not just because I hate the Border Control. It's because it would be a waste of anyone's life. It'd be a waste of anyone's potential or skills. It would be a waste of anyone's personality as well. If they go in there with a personality, I bet it'll be stripped pretty quickly. As you become an NPC, non-player character, automaton, loser. Hope that kid does not end up being a loser. Hope he quit already because he sees how stupid it is. He obviously cares about people. He cares so much to ask me. You're not mad at me, are you? That guy needs to use his emotional intelligence elsewhere. Because it will not be useful in that job. So, I do think that's it for now. I'm glad the whole podcast wasn't in this very negative tone. I just don't want to call these people losers the whole time. But I can't help but think it. I don't ever want to do business with any of these people. I will, in fact, celebrate it if any of them ever message me and say, Hey man, I used to work for the TSA, but I left it because of whatever reason. I'd love to hear those stories. Those would make me happy. I would respect you more, way more for doing that. Love to see some of that. But other than that, no active TSA or retired TSA or active Border Patrol agent or retired Border Patrol agent. None of them is ever getting invited to my house for dinner. That is for certain. I'm not going to take any active action against these people, but I'm definitely not going to give them my respect until I have some reason to. I do have to keep dealing with them, and I hope they don't listen to this podcast. That's all I'm saying about it for now. Like I said, you can see everything else that I do. If this is the first time you've stumbled onto me, that would be a bit weird, but if you for some reason don't know that I do all these other things on Instagram and YouTube and I write books several of them and you can see them all on notusbooks.org notusbooks.org spelled notusbooks.org appreciate it if you go there check it out on this podcast here i share a lot of stuff not just my own podcasts also a lot of audiobooks and other lectures and stuff that have really inspired me over the years a lot more coming follow the podcast check out the other channels read the books or check out the audio versions for my fellow audio files here in podcast land and that's all i've got for you today i appreciate you until next time anything to declare yeah don't go to england Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.